This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is brought to you by Fisher Skis. This is the Advance Podcast. My name is Adam Jabber, and we have a wonderful set of episodes or conversations or whatever we're calling them these days uh, today for you. Um, Michelle Parker's on the show. Nick Sargent is on the show. And Caroline Clare is on the show. Um, Caroline is going back to her second Olympics um, to compete. So we, ca- we kind of talked about that stuff. We talked about um, her time at SMS, Stratton Mountain School. We talk about good team managers, bad team managers. We, we talked about a lot of stuff, um, and it's a great conversation. Um, and then Michelle Parker and I talked about uh, everything. I don't even know. Like, uh, By the way, the nicest human being I've ever talked to probably in my life. Like, She's just so friendly, and like, she's a, a real person. I know that sound, <laughs> might sound weird to say, but like, sometimes you talk to people, and they're just like on, and they're in like their, their own little world when you're having that conversation this was not the case with michelle she's like present she's here she's fully ready to have the conversation like and was a gem um we also talked to nick Sargent. nick Sargent is the president of sia which is snow sports industries of america um which is like i don't know they do a lot of good stuff for uh the ski industry and the snow community um we talk about what sia actually does and he's actually got a lot of hot takes, um, and I hope uh, I hope you guys enjoy it. That one is, uh, it's one of the better conversations I think that have come out uh, in a while. So uh, be sure to uh, I don't know, listen through. Let me know what you think. Shoot me an email. Shoot me a message, and uh, and we'll chat about it. Um, before we jump into the show, we have a sponsor for today, and that is Darn Tough Socks. Darn Tough has been a sponsor of the show for a little bit now, and uh, they've been great. They make the best socks on the planet. I feel like if you own a pair of darn tough socks, you already know this. Um, but they're made in Vermont. It's a Vermont-based company. Um, it's actually a mutual sponsor of Michelle and mine, which is like a crazy thing to say out loud. Um, but go get some socks. Go to darntough.com. Uh, buy yourself a new pair of ski socks, hike socks, run socks. Uh, I just appreciate if you buy all of the socks and uh, you never wear another pair of uh, socks that are not darn tough ever again. So um check them out on the social let them know we sent you and uh thank you to darn tough for sponsoring this episode of the show um and with that we'll get into the episode first with caroline claire caroline tell people who you are a little bit about yourself and then uh we'll go from there i'm caroline claire i'm a pro skier i'm a slope style skier i guess i'm 21 i'm an olympian uh, I live in Park City, Utah, and uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm from Vermont and New York, I guess. Um, but yeah. <laughs> um, you went to SMS, is that right? I did go to SMS. Yeah, I graduated in 2018. How uh, how was that experience? And what was that like? Because I think we got a lot of New Englanders that listen to the show. A lot of uh, a lot of vets of SMS. SMS is great. Um, I definitely like didn't think of SMS as a place I'd ever go to. I remember like when I was like 12 and I was driving to like Okemo for like a little kid B competition. Um, and we like drove by SMS and I was like, dad, like let's drive through campus. And like we drove through and he's like, you're never going here. These kids do drugs. And I just remember like thinking that was like 
really funny. And then, yeah, I don't know. I moved up to Vermont when I was 13 with my family. Um, they could move up, which I was really grateful for. So I could go to Mount Snow Academy in eighth grade. And then um, after eighth grade, I was kind of like, oh, I want to do this like more full time. Like it'd be really cool. And I met Jesse Malice um, and he's the free ski director at SMS and we hit it off and their program just like seems so legit and like it is legit. Yeah, um, but I was sure. like, I was like a 13, 14 year old girl. And I was like, "Whoa, this is crazy. They have trampolines basically. And like, <laughs> I, I just remember like being like, this is so sick. Um, and yeah, like it all worked out and I had such a fun time. I probably wasn't there nearly as much as the average student would go to SMS. Um, right. I was traveling a ton and like, unfortunately couldn't ski with the team, my SMS free ski team all the time. And um, that was a bummer, but I mean, I, that school allowed me to do all the things I can do today and like has put me in a position that I never thought I'd be in. And I just, I grew up pretty fast and yeah. some people are kind of like, Oh, like you weren't really a kid as long, but like, I think it was really valuable to, I mean, even like, I don't think a 21 year old kid can really go through an airport that easily these days, yeah, but like, right. I've been doing it since I was like 15. So, um, yeah, that's, it was a great time and I loved it and I love Vermont. Um, and yeah, I'm really glad I went. You are, uh, you're definitely an airport vet at this point. Um, <laughs> how, how annoying has it been in the last year, year and a half, uh, travel wise? Uh, definitely frustrating. Um, <laughs> cause like you, you definitely like get into a groove, um, after just traveling so much. And like, I take a lot of pride in my United uh, premier 1k status that is a huge thing for me um but yeah it kind of just like everything flipped upside down and I didn't I like went I just remember going home like beginning of March 2020 they had just canceled the world cup for us in Switzerland yep. but I was like oh like I haven't seen my parents in a while like I really want to see my dog like I'm gonna go home for the weekend so I flew back to Vermont from Park City and I ended up being there for three months and I was like just too scared to like get on an airplane um mm. and like eventually made it back to park city in like june um but yeah it's it's definitely different like just trying to go to europe these days is like so hard you have to have like 12 different forms and like yeah. you'll show up to the airport and they're like do you have this form too and you're like no fuck like i have to do that and just covid tests like up the butt not actually up the butt but like you know what I mean? there's so there's so many thank you for and, clarifying um, that yeah 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 um they're just like I feel like I take a COVID test every like five minutes these days so um I'm sure yeah it's it's different a little even hotter than normal like I'm someone I like literally have a heat stroke the second I step foot in an airport and adding <laughs> adding like a N95 mask I'm like literally like I cannot breathe like but yeah. I mean, I am so grateful I can still travel right now. And yeah, uh, it's it is what it is. Yeah, it's funny. Like I now I'm like back to the point where I'm getting on planes a bunch again, too. Not nearly as much as you, but I it's funny. I'm sitting here complaining. But a year ago, I would have given anything to get on a flight, no matter what the case would have been. Right. Like it was just yeah. like in the beginning, same deal. I was like, I'm scared. It was terrifying. Yeah. But like after a little while you're like all right i just want to go somewhere that isn't like my immediate area um, yeah but yeah um 
can I ask you, since you have some experience with this, what in your mind is the difference between MSA at Mount Snow Academy and SMS? Like what's, what's the vibe difference? Why did you pick one or over the other? Um, yeah, I think it might've, it might be a little different now compared to like when I went, but so I went to, I started at MSA in 2013 and, um, that was like right after the season before I went to like USASA nationals in copper and I won and I didn't have a coach there. So, but the, the MSA coach at the time, Robbie Sullivan was gracious enough to like help me out. And I really like, I really liked working with him. Um, and I was like, this seems like a good fit. Like I want to go do this. And my parents were kind of like, okay, like if this is what you want to do, like we support you. And so I, um, went to MSA it's, um, it's winter term. Um, it's like more of a part-time program. You go to your normal school, wherever you are in the country. And then if your school is like cooperating enough, they send your curriculum with you and you have, um, like around four to five tutors for one for each of your classes. And the great thing about MSA is these tutors are like, they're, um, kind of like semi-retired and they could have been like professors or like, they were like, I literally have like an archeologist, like as one of my teachers, like, like these super, super smart, um, people that just want to keep teaching and want to keep, um, I don't know, like their interests, like heard basically. And like, you really like appreciate it. And like, I, I mean, I was like a little 13 year old and you kind of just like sit at a table with them. And back then it was in the Mount Snow ski club. Now it's, um, at that in, I forget what it's called now, yeah, but yeah, it's like the Matterhorn. Yeah. The Matterhorn. And, uh, so it's like way different now. They have like a whole like kind of air awareness center and um, it just seems like not more legit. It's always been legit. Um, Lynn Sullivan, who's the head of the school, was a really good family friend of my mother's and uh, my grandparents. So um, that's kind of like how my mom was like, OK, you can go like we love Lynn, like we trust them. Like yeah. they like they they know what they're doing. And I mean, the school's been successful for since like the 70s and uh, they've had like a lot of great alum come out of there and yeah I mean MSA was great um just the whole difference between MSA and SMS is SMS is definitely like you're going to its own like accredited school um they have their own they have their own curriculum um we yeah you have a lot of more options like class-wise I mean you have and it's not tutor-based like you're in a class like I graduated with like 22 kids in my grade definitely yeah. not big but like that's huge compared to like one-on-one learning so um and it was nice like going back into like kind of a lot of our classes um at least like english and history wise at sms were like you sat around the table and you talked and like just discussed and like that was huge for me like that's how i wanted to learn and um i'm glad i didn't have to have like the not unstableness but like the change like in the middle of a school year to like go from one school to the other and then go back so yeah, that it always nice. up to me. Like that seems like a, a difficult way for anybody to go to school. And that's yeah. like why you have so much sympathy for kids now that are going to like part remote, part like part in school, like just in yeah. regular schooling, never mind at that level. But I mean, yeah, the kids at MSA have definitely been splitting their time. And by no means am I, am I saying they're like struggling. I mean, they're having a ball, they're skiing all the time, like, but it is hard to make that switch uh, when it comes to actual schooling, I think. So yeah, I know I know Robbie pretty well actually. Robbie's a Robbie was a good dude, and now they got Sam Marino over there, and he's uh, yes. Yeah, Sam, Sam made my like first edit like when I was like twelve years old. Sam's the shit. Like, he's yeah, it's honestly kid. the it's the funniest 
edit on it. <laughs> like we filmed it in like three hours, maybe like just Nitro and Gulch and a little Inferno. And like, it's so funny. And yeah. I was like, I need to get sponsored. Sam, like make me this edit. And like, <laughs> I remember like, I like got picked up by Rosenbaum and like, I sent them that clip and I was like, Sam, like, I love you. Do you like, have it still? It's on YouTube. It's, it's, oh, I'm going to so find it. Funny. It's so I'm gonna funny. Find it. Um, yeah. it's definitely going to go out with this episode. Um, so kind of before we switch gears completely from like local talk, I, uh, let's talk about your feet for a second because I talked to your boot fitter yesterday, Nick Blaylock. Um, and, uh, he has a punch specifically for your foot because he said, since he's been fitting your feet like 10 years ago or whatever, your feet have not changed at all. And I just thought that was a hilarious little bit from, uh, from a super smart dude, by the way. Yeah. Um, Nick is like my Lord and savior, honestly, like <laughs> I've gone to other boot fitters and like no disrespect to them, but I don't think they like understand like my foot, like I'm like a woman's like 11, but like my foot itself is probably like a woman's seven and a half, but my toes right. are just like, like my big toes <laughs> as, long, as long as my thumb. And, uh, like my friend Devin Logan, she like, I live with her and she always is like, you literally have a claw foot. Like I like have like a bird foot. It's like, this is it. I don't think it looks weird, but like to other people, they're like, Whoa, they like jump back when they see it. And yeah, he has a specific punch for me. Um, uh, yeah, he, it's pretty funny. I go and like, just sit in his shop whenever I go home and I just pick up every single boot on the shelf. I'm like, would this fit my foot? Would this fit my foot? And yeah, I don't think anyone could like know feet better. And he, uh, is such a good boot fitter and the whole Valley loves him and rightfully yeah. so he's such a good dude. Yeah. I, uh, I, I can't say enough good things about that dude. He, uh, we, we have a pretty good working relationship and like whenever I talk to him, I'm just like, Holy shit, this guy really loves in the least creepy way to say this, <laughs> yeah. he really loves feet. Like he really just, he loves knowing feet and it's, uh, it's, it's, I think he's doing a podcast too about feet, which is like, so bizarre but i was like figuring out how i was gonna ask you about your feet without sounding like a fucking weirdo so um uh, but yeah, yeah i got weird feet yeah for sure and if, if anybody's in the uh in the west dover area or stratton area go see nick he's uh he's the shit like if you got weird feet that's uh that's the dude um so i actually i want to ask you about some current stuff I'm, you're going back to the olympics how yeah. do we feel excited uh definitely like there's like a gray area of like not knowing what to expect like people always say like if you go to one like you can never like fully know what to expect going into the next like they're so different but like I think in this case like we went from a pre-pandemic last Olympics to yeah. definitely like pretty in the swing of things knowing what to expect kind of but like we're going to China so it's like we don't know what to expect because there's that gray area and then yeah COVID and like just like getting kind of bombarded with all this information right now from like my team and the USOPC and like, just kind of, they like, they know what to expect, but it's also like, this is not like guaranteed. And it's just like, it's definitely a little scary, but um, I'm really excited. Um, I never thought I'd want to go to China, but I kind of want to go now to like, <laughs> just like check it out and then be like, okay, peace. But um. Yeah. yeah, I think if you're going to check fun. out China, I feel like that's probably the best way to do it is like go there as a professional, like hang out, like see the scenes and get kind of toured around a little bit. And you're you're probably going to see the best version of it, I'd imagine. Yeah, I think so. Um, we won't have like a ton of um, 
not free time, but like, okay. it won't be like, like, I mean, for me last time in Korea, I was like, I'm a huge sports man. So I was like, we are going to every single event. And like, we went to a bunch of hockey, um, Dilo's boyfriend was a speed skater skater. So we like went to a bunch of speed skating events and like, she knew like what was up and like, that was really cool. Um, yeah. I went to like figure skating and like, that was like so sick. I was like, <laughs> this is so hard. Like, I don't know how they're doing this. Um, yeah, I went, I went to like every event. Um, and it was, it was so sick. Like I was never sitting around. Whereas I think in China, there's going to be a lot more sitting around. So yeah. it'll be different. Yeah, for sure. I imagine they kind of want to keep everybody like together and like, clean and like ready to like compete right like no no unforeseen stuff if they can obviously there's going to be a certain level of that regardless so yeah um how do you feel competition wise like how do you feel about like actually competing and where where's your head at i'm excited um it's kind of been like a slow start to the season definitely for me um i, I got hurt like midway through last season at x games so i like I partially tore my ACL, so I didn't compete for the rest of the year. Um, and then going into this season, I kind of like tweaked my knee a little bit in Austria. And then I broke my shoulder blade um, in Steamboat. And I kind of just thought like my season was washed right there. And I mean, they said like scapula is a really hard break, but they also heal really fast. I mean, I only know one other person to ever break it. And that's Mac Forehand. And like, he, I remember like he missed um, – X Games, his first X Games invite because of it, but then he came back and like got fourth at World Championships like three weeks later, and I was like, okay, like I can do this type of thing. Um, but yeah, it should be, it'll be interesting. I've competed twice since Steamboat, and uh, I made finals at both my comps, but like definitely probably not my best skiing, but I think I'm like trending in like a better direction, and I'm excited like seeing the slope course um, in China. Like it looks very dope um and like i'm really excited for big air um because i don't know it's just so sick to have both now for us and uh yeah. it'll be cool like the venue um it's kind of like in this like old i mean it looks like a nuclear power plant but like there's <laughs> it, it literally looks like there's like reactors around this like big air venue and um it, it's like right in like smack in beijing so like when we get to china like we are staying in like the beijing village doing that for um a couple days whatever and then we go up to the other village i can't remember the name um it's hard to pronounce but uh and then we go up there for slope so we're there for like three weeks um and it's okay. gonna be fun I'm, I'm a little nervous but i think um i think olympics experience is like huge and like i'm really yeah. glad like i've i've gone before because i definitely did not know what to expect in korea and it like i think it definitely showed for me and i didn't ski kind of as confidently as i normally do so I'm excited yeah. for this one because I, I kind of know like the pressure to expect. So, yeah. Yeah. How, when you're kind of getting into that mindset, when you're about to drop in, like where, where is your head at? Like, is there something that you do? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like a lot gets talked about in terms of mental coaching and people trying to get their head in the right space. Like, is there anything that you do to kind of make sure that your head is like on straight, so to speak? Yeah. Like for me, a big thing over the last couple of years is like, not comparing myself to anyone because like for okay. me that's like that's really gotten my like gotten me like totally into my head and like gotten me angry and like just a lot of negative self-talk and for me it's like really big to just be like present and so like a lot of mindfulness um I've worked with like a sports psychologist for the last like three years 
Um, his name's Alex Cohen. He's great. Um, and just we've worked on like a lot of like, yeah, breathing exercises, visualization, stuff like that. Um, and like I, I was always someone I was so hesitant to like talking about how I was feeling or like that's just not something I would have ever done. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he's like really helped me. And um, yeah, it's just like a lot of deep breaths and like just focusing, yeah, honestly, just on your breath when you're dropping in. And like for me, like making sure I have like the right song on that's not like overamping me or like not too calm. And yeah, it's it, it takes a lot and it's a lot of preparation, but um, it's honestly something I would have never thought would ever like phase me. But slowly I've realized it phases almost every athlete so sure can't like really can't really be like oh like I'm different like this is normal and like it's really stressful so like obviously I'm gonna like have these thoughts and stuff so yeah yeah no I mean it's the true pinnacle of the sport I mean right like Olympic competition is like it's it's huge so uh, I that's kind of why I asked that question I talked to David Wise uh last week two weeks ago something like that and he does mental coaching on the side but when I kind of asked him about like how how he got into it and how he got into coaching he was like because I kind of realized that I needed it right like I needed to like be on right like I needed to realize that like and kind of put myself into this mindset of like I get to do this as opposed to I need to do this yeah. um and he was like that that kind of like changed my whole mindset yeah for me like recently like um a lot of people are always just like, just make sure you have fun, like have fun. And like, I think like they've always been saying this, but I think more recently I've like li- been listening and like, mm. or like kind of interpreting it differently. Like the, I'm like, yeah, you're fucking right. Like this is so much fun. And like, I'm not really letting myself have as much fun as I could all the time. And like, if I just do that, like, and like I get to be with my friends and like go to all these places around the world and like, it's not on my dime. Like this is so much fun. And like, I get to ski and like, this is why I did it like when I was like eight years old and like whipping tea sets sevens and grommet or something like yeah, right. this is what I, this this is like the same feeling and like I wasn't like tapping into that feeling or like maybe like totally like yeah feeling that and um it's just it's really rewarding and like I just have so much like gratitude for like being able to like recognize now that like I need like I can have all this fun and like it's not that I need it, but like, I deserve it. And like, I get to do this and like, I'm going to have fun. Like it's, it's fun. (laughs) It's hard to separate. I imagine though, right? Like between like, okay, this is the job, right? I'm paid to do this and I'm paid to show results. And like, I need to like, I train for this and like, there is so much buildup, but at the end of the day, it's like, it's the same shit you did when you were 10, you know, like, it's like, yeah, you're going out there and you're trying to have a good time. And it's, I think it can be simplified to that extent obviously with so many external factors but i i think that part is uh gets it feels like it gets lost sometimes and you can see it sometimes in people skiing where they're like they're they're tight right but i I definitely think it gets lost like i mean for me like i had to rec i had to like realize that like i'm skiing for myself and i'm not skiing for other people and i think for for like a couple seasons like i was really just trying to like prove to other people like what i could do and like when I really, in reality, like I should just be proving it to myself. And like, that's when I'm going to be having fun. And like, I was so worried about like what my sponsors were thinking if like, I didn't have a good result or like, um, I was like, why is an agent not signing me? Like, why are they signing these other people? Like I would get so angry. And like, I just realized like, that's not something I can control. And like, all I can do is like go out and like ski my best skiing because it's my skiing and I get to ski for myself. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fucking rad. Um, 
do, are you working with an agent currently? No. <laughs> do you have uh, do you have real interest in doing that? And and what's the benefit to working with an agent? I think we end up talking about this a lot on this show, and I think people are split where they're like, some people want somebody to take care of the other shit, right? And some yeah. people are like, no, I want to do it. Like I, when I talked to Michelle Parker last week, she was like, initially an agent was the best thing I ever did for myself. But now it's like, I got this shit, you know? So yeah. some people are kind of in that camp too. So where do you yeah. stand in terms of what you feel it could bring you? Well, I think like for sure, like there's the whole, like, I don't want to deal with some of this shit. Like it's so much added stress, like trying to like email like a sponsor of mine and be like trying to negotiate a contract on my own. And I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like I'm 20. I like, well, I'd be like, I remember I was like 17 years old and like the sponsor was like, here, we can like give you up to like $12,000 in incentives and all this shit. And I was on the phone. I was like, that sounds great. And then like by the end of the season, <laughs> by the end of the season, they're like, we can't pay you. Like you weren't like promoting, like you should have been. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like you yeah, like literally like crazy. gave me like a 30 second phone call. Like, and then, you're trying to like tell me I don't get this money. Like that is such bullshit. But like, yeah, I don't know. I think, and also like, I think having an agent like opens more doors to like relationships that like you couldn't have been connected to before. And like, just like an easier and like more streamlined process of like meeting people. And uh, that's big. And especially like right now with like COVID, it's not like we're going to like maybe like award shows and like meeting TMs or like right. people. Um, so yeah, it's, it's different. It's hard because like you're the TM or whoever's making the decision at a company to like decide who gets paid what they already have all the information, right? Like they know how much they're paying every athlete and you have no fucking idea. Like you have no, mm -hmm. unless you ask somebody like one of your peers, like, what are you getting? Mm -hmm. There's no and that's way an, to that's an uncomfortable conversation. Like, exactly. and that's it's not, weird. and that's like not a conversation you want to have with like one of your best friends. You're like, no, like, because you don't want to, yeah, yeah. Sure. And like, I'm, I don't have an agent. So like, Sometimes you have to like hit up people, you know, and you're like, Hey, can I have this contact? And you just feel like, just kind of like such a fuck. You're like, I'm not trying to like take anything from you, but like, I'm just trying to look out for myself too. But then you don't want to seem selfish. And it's just, it's weird. It's weird. No, I, but I do think, I, I think it's really important to talk about that kind of stuff within your peer. Like, I don't know. I, I don't find that much value in just talking about the number itself blatantly. Like we had Kyle Smain on and he like i'm just fucking name dropping right now it's fucking ridiculous but um i when he was on he was kind of telling us exactly what he made like while he was a top 10 half pipe skier in the world and we were just like okay like this is cool that he's willing to say it because he's like he's done with it right he's washed his hands but mm -hmm. when you're in it i think it's more valuable to just talk within like your yeah. group of people even if it is fucking weird because otherwise how are you gonna know because brand x knows exactly what they have for a budget. They know exactly who they're paying and what they're paying. And they always have more than they say they do. And that's my biggest thing is it, they just aren't willing to be. It's not like everybody is a good guy when it comes to business or a good girl when it comes to business. When you're art, like when you're having these conversations, right? They're looking out for their job. So mm -hmm. everybody's kind of looking out for number one. Sometimes you get that TM that's really fucking rad. And they're like, yeah. I want to do, I, I want to take care of you. Right. Like, and I genuinely mm -hmm. want to do the most that I can, but yeah. I haven't found that to be the norm. So no, not at all. Like I remember I was on dragon for a little bit and Jake, um, Largess or larger, I forget how to say his name. He was yeah. like the best TM. Um, he was like the head TM for a while. He was like the Nike TM. Yeah. Um, and he He's was just like, yeah, darn tough. And he sends socks on a while. He's great. And like, he was so good at like getting me stuff right away. Like he was so helpful. And I remember they 
changed TMs probably like two years ago almost now. And I don't want to tell say this guy's name, but like their new TM just like fucking sucked. And I mean, <laughs> I got dropped. They dropped like all the girls. And um, I mean, they did, they signed Tatum, but like all these other girls got dropped. And like, I didn't even, I didn't even get like a fucking email. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, you didn't get an email? No. So what do you mean? Like they just were and, like, you found out on the internet? Like, like I was like, I was like sent an email and he's like, yeah, definitely. Like we'll send you stuff um, for this like next trip you're going on. And then like, I never got anything. Then I sent him another email, didn't get a response. And then probably like eight months later, I was just like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to like send an email and like not be a bitch. But like, I was like, not really cool that you're not responding. Like, this is really no, unprofessional. <laughs> like, like sure. I, you need to let me, you need to like, let me know if like I can't get products. Cause now I'm like past a window of like reaching out to other companies. So it's like last yeah. year I didn't have a goggle sponsor and like that sucked. And I mean, Nick Blaylock like helped me up and like got me in contact with the sweet protection TM. So like, that's great. But like, yeah. it's just ridiculous like that just like this lack of communication and this like fog sometimes like yeah just... that's the thing that bugs me the most is not responding right it's like it, yeah as athletes or as media like when i go and i offer a contract i'm expected to get that shit in like right away dialed exactly how it is but like i could not and everybody that i work with currently has been really good but I, you could not get a response for months at a time and then they're like oh you didn't deliver like exactly what you said and you're just like what do you what like i yeah. tried i did my part i have a like career yeah. to worry about mm -hmm. not not like hunting down you to make sure that you understand that i'm doing my job like i don't it, it also is like you want to work with people who want you for you and not people you have to beg for stuff right and that and like that's the thing it's like you kind of start getting this feeling of like damn, this company like really isn't about me or like they don't really have this confidence in me that maybe they once yeah. did. And then it makes it harder for you to like want to ski for them or to like promote them. And you're like, sure. you're not doing anything for me in return. So like, why should I like give you anything almost? Like this is just like not a night, a good relationship. And like, it's usually one that has to end, but like it sucks because it's like, this could have been avoided if like there was better communication. Yeah, like that's all it takes sometimes, right? Like it's like you pay when you say you're going to pay and you communicate, right? Like that's basically yeah. like the things that are like, that's the bare minimum and everything can function okay for the most part, right? And then everything else is just like where you want to be. But I, uh, yeah, I just find it, I find it interesting that that's a thing. And in, in, in skiing and snowboarding and out, in outdoors in general, it's one person you're dealing with a lot of time, right? Like, so that one, yeah. like you said, Jake to whoever this other person is, that changes your feelings towards the company 100%, right? Yeah. It's like a complete flip. And mm -hmm. I think companies are getting more and more aware that it's like, it's that person that makes that connect that everybody kind of feels attached to. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's a weird fucking industry. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I have questions from people uh on the internet cool um apparently you're a big yankees fan um yeah. i'm kind of a i'm kind of a fake yankees fan i was born into it my dad's <laughs> a big yankees fan but i uh i am not uh base i have severe adhd and baseball does not do it for me sometimes because it's so long and there's not enough That's movement fair. like yeah so I like it. And if I was to identify with a team, it is the Yankees. But people have Yankees questions specifically for you. And Slope Guy wants to know uh, who should play shortstop for the Yankees next year. Uh, that's a tough one. I don't want any of like the major free agents because I think they all suck. 
I don't want them to sign this cheater Correa from the Astros. He's the worst. And yeah, the worst. I think it's just, it's just so funny because he wants to play for the Yankees so bad. And it's like so clear. And then like, also there's like Trevor story, like one of the other shortstop that's left. And like, he's wants to play for the Yankees so badly, but like he gets hurt, like stepping like one <laughs> in foot. Like he like can't even run to first base without like dislocating his hip basically. Um, I don't know. I think they should just be patient and they have a really good prospect, Anthony Volpe coming up. So they should just wait. Uh, do you ever get any shit for being a Yankees fan? I feel like, uh, oh, yeah, all the time. The team. Yeah, that's the team that everybody gives shit to. It's like, I am also like born into being a Lakers fan. Yeah. Um, and I get the same shit on the basketball side of things. It's like, your yeah. Lakers, not what, because they're good? It's like, no, because I was born in an era of Shaq and Kobe. And like, that's what my family was into. Like, I don't know. It's like, yeah. You stick with who you're born with unless you move and then you have an allegiance to a local team or something. I don't know. So, yeah, no, definitely you get a lot of shit. But, like, also, like, these people try to give me shit and I'm like, you, like, I can just tell them, like, why they're wrong. So it's like, doesn't really faze me. <laughs> like, they don't know what they're talking about, like, 95% of the time. So it's fine. Yeah. But then, the, like, the 5% of the time I do talk to someone that knows what they're talking about, it's a great conversation. And we leave like best friends. So it's <laughs> that's uh yeah. Sports is a funny, th I feel like sports don't get talked about enough in skiing. Like it's like a weird, it's like the money thing. It's like a weird cliche. Like don't touch this topic, like real, like act like non-action sport topics, you know? Yep. Um, are you a big reader? Somebody asked a question about reading. Can we ask that? Um, I read a decent amount. I just bought a bunch of books to go to China because I think we're getting thrown back into like 1980 in the sense that like we can't like use our phones or our computers. So yeah, um, I read a lot during like quarantine, but um, nothing like really in particular. I'll read anything. Uh, Summer Hayes, Katie wants to know uh, what book are you most looking forward to reading? It's as simple as that. Oh my God. Yeah. That's my friend, Katie Summer Hayes. Um, she's going to the Olympics too. She's Sick. for Great Britain. She, uh, she told me to get this book called The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Um, I think that's what it's called. She says it's supposed to be really good, so I'm going to read it. She said it's what, a crazy ending. What's it about? Uh, it's about this woman who I think maybe had a lot of money or something, and she's, like, nearing the end of her life. And she agreed to have this reporter, like, sit down and interview her about, like, everything, and, like, nothing's off the table. And that's all I basically know just from the jacket of the book. <laughs> Um, and the last one I'll ask you, um, actually may, we'll do one and a half more. Cause one's not really, it's like a, almost a rhetorical question. I feel like, um, uh, biggest inspiration, um, in skiing or outside of skiing. This is from Julia Crass free ski. <laughs> um, uh, probably Devin Logan. Um, she like, I mean, grew up in long Island like me and then moved up to Vermont kind of same story, just different timeline. Um, and she went to MSA, um, got that silver medal in Sochi at the like inaugural slope event, which was really cool. Um, and yeah, just basically it was like my superhero growing up. And now we're like best friends and she's one of my roommates in Park City. And yeah, she's great. Really funny, fun person to be around. What, how does that, how does that feel? I guess like looking up to somebody and then being so close with them. Like, cause I feel like people always say things like, you should never meet your heroes, right? Or you should never meet your idols because they're never what you think. But like, it sounds like mm -hmm. Devin is the opposite scenario of that. No, she's great. I mean, like, I'm so lucky to, I think, I think it's way cooler to like be friends with like your hero and like idol. Yeah. Um, and like, 
she always jokes that she like corrupted like Maggie a little bit and she like corrupted <laughs> me and like you know she but she like takes you under her wing and like yeah we like have we have this um super top secret like ski sorority um like the girls <laughs> on the team have we call it a ski pal gamma spg um so it's like it's like five or six of us and uh i can't release members names obviously but yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's like she's head sister so um it's she's great uh that's fucking rad um uh last question is from who i assume is your brother uh a claire 924 wants to know favorite yeah. brother uh and you have three three brothers if i'm not mistaken yeah um i'm not gonna answer that andrew um i love them all <laughs> equally definitely spent the most time with andrew and he's the smartest out of all of us all, that's all i'll say perfect um awesome well caroline i appreciate the time um thank you so much for doing this uh good luck um, everybody will be watching, I'm sure. Um, no pressure. And uh, I guess we'll talk to you soon. Um, where can people find you on social, by the way, or anywhere else that they can connect connect with you? Uh, my answer is Caroline underscore Claire. Uh, Caroline spelled with a zero as though. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Maybe I'll make some fire TikToks in China if I can. But I think it's banned, I think it's banned there, so I'm not sure. Yeah, I, know, I don't know what the, yeah, I don't know where that. <laughs> plays in all of this also last question this has been a new thing that i keep forgetting to implement in the show what's your din setting oh god um i think it's like 10 okay. um yeah like 10 probably this is only stemming like i'm gonna explain it for a few times and then i'm gonna stop explaining it forever i promise for people listening it's basically because eileen <clears throat> eileen posted a picture of her skiing on marker squires I broke that. I broke that binding when I was literally 11 years old. I don't know how she wears that. I bust the springs out of that. Like Kelly Sildrew also wears that binding. Like no disrespect to them. Like it, it works for them <laughs> fine. But like, I just remember I had a traumatic experience with that binding. Like I was like, yeah, 11 years old. And I was at like a Mount Snow, like B regional USASA event and like i busted the spring through my binding and i like had to like take the mover over to the grind like in between runs <laughs> and like they just somehow like bust my binding back in and like rig it and then like i had to like go back and like it was so sketch so i don't, I don't know, know how she's doing it either i was shocked when i saw that photo because like she did it's not like she mentioned it she was just like here's my run and fucking yeah. and you look on her ski and it's a marker squire and you're like that's 189 dollar binding like why what is going on here you know like this is I, I was just blown away. So then I like started shitting on people for having like, you know, uh, dudes that are just think they need an 18 din binding for no reason. And that, like, that's also shit. funny. Yeah. That's where it started from. So, um, appreciate that. Uh, thank you for coming on and, uh, we'll talk to you. Uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This episode of the Autobots podcast is brought to you by burn helmets. Uh, burn helmets was founded in 2004 by two guys who didn't want to choose between safety and style. Every time they went skiing back in the day, helmets were just weird, weird looking contraptions made out of plastic and foam bulky chunky and just weren't up to snuff um drawing inspiration from their urban roots burn made helmets that don't suck um these are comfortable they fit my head and uh and i would highly highly recommend that you go out and buy a new burn helmet uh the watts is the one that i'm running they also make one called the uh macon the macon is like the slightly more traditional shaped one the watts is the one with the brim um, and they also make the uh, the Baker, which is like the the legit, like, w looks like you're wearing a hat underneath it kind of thing. Um, they're comfortable. They fit well. They protect your head. They've got MIPS. And uh, one of my favorite parts, actually, like, legitimately about these helmets is the BOA 
is attached to the liner as opposed to being attached to the actual helmet and the system that functions around the helmet. So when it cinches down, it doesn't just create weird pressure points on your head. It fits cohesively and nice and comfortably. So you can wear it all day without getting a headache, without looking dumb. And uh, shout out to Burn Helmets for sponsoring this episode of the show. If you want to buy one, go to burnhelmets.com and use promo code out of 15 and uh, buy yourself a helmet. Nick, uh, tell people who you are. Tell them a little bit about yourself and then we'll go from there. Got it. Uh, my name is Nick Sargent. I'm president of Snow Sports Industry of America. We're a 70-year-old trade organization that supports the winter industry with a mission to help the winter industry thrive. So um, that's about SIA. I'm a, I'm a native Vermonter. I'm from a little town just, just north of Stowe, Morrisville, Vermont. Oh, no and, kidding. Uh, born and raised there. And then um, um, I live in Park City, Utah now. This is my third time living here in my uh, almost almost 30 years in the winter sport business. I can't believe I'm saying that, but um, it's been a fun ride. And um, I've started in the winter uh, competitive racing side, uh, working and living in Europe uh, with a focus on World Cup skiing. And then um, I moved back to the U.S. and started working for Solomon uh, when they were owned by Adidas, which was a really fun experience and ride in the in the uh, in the big world of team sports and sportswear and um, and then winter sport. And uh, from there, I went to Burton Snowboards, where I worked um, for about twelve years, <clears throat> running a uh, the new business uh, uh, department and um, licensing partnerships, uh, global marketing. And that landed me here at SIA where I've been for five and a half years, almost six. And um, it's been a nice transition coming from snowboarding, from Alpine, from team sport, um, all the way to where, where I am today, uh, where you know we're helping the industry thrive. We're creating research products, data, uh points uh we own a consumer show called snowbound which we'll talk about in a little bit uh we have a climate platform called united uh climate united and we're just launched the climate lab uh this week in anticipation of outdoor retailer uh next week yep and so we're really focused on consumer climate inclusion and and research and data just to keep it very simple and pure. Can you talk to me a little bit about what what exactly SIA does? I, I know you gave me like the quick, this is what it is, but what does SIA do? And I guess most people's relationship with Snow Sports Industry of America is on the retail side, or at least from my perspective. So what does SIA do, one, for the retailers and overall? Right. So, you know, most most people and historically no SIA as the trade show. Right. And um, ironically, SIA uh, created the whole trade show world. And if you can imagine 70 years ago, there were no trade shows. And um, so uh, SIA created the environment where the retailer can see the product first from a wholesaler, make an order, have that order delivered to the retail store the following fall and so on and so forth. Then the consumer gets access to it. Right. It's uh, it seems like that's something that should have always existed, but it's very cool to hear that 
SIA is kind of the innovator in that sense. But what, <laughs> how has how has that changed since you've been on? I guess because I think OR goes through a lot of changes, and trade shows in general have kind of gone through a lot of changes over the past few years. How how is it different? How is the interaction with retail different? How is the interaction with brands to consumer different? I mean, where where are we at now? The internet. <laughs> it's all about the internet. The fact that we're doing this live in front of our machine, right. in front of our computers, um, is indicative of where we are today as an industry. Right. And you know, imagine ten years ago, the in uh, the um, the internet was still in its infancy. Believe it or not, uh, companies were trying to think about how how does the internet work? Where does it help us? Where does it hurt us? Um, and we all we all know the story. Uh, the internet's here to stay. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> so when you think about a trade show, um, you know this idea of coming together as a community has always been been around for thousands of years. Everybody likes to come together as a community. These markets have been around for thousands of years. You know how we have adjusted our business here in North America around one single show, one time of year for four days. And the thought that that's going to be the entire business platform, I'm in. I can do a year's worth of business in four days. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's the dream. Um, but the reality is, is we live in a 365, 24-7 world. And this idea of coming together as a community for four days to do the business, that's not reality anymore. Um, we see it. We know it. We see it in every every other uh, um mainstream industry in the world and uh you know if you have kids or you know you you yourself or whatever you however you shop you know you're online you're checking out deals you're checking out product you're checking out pricing you're checking out delivery you know and you make that decision do i want those shoes that t-shirt those jeans that record that you know sunglasses who knows what it is yeah i do boom and i'm going to get it in two days like that's instant gratification, but get behind that deal. There's a whole platform. There's a company following your uh, all of your sales and they're following what you do as an individual. There's a brand that buys that uh, information and they tailor their outreach to you through different algorithms, right? It's why you're talking about how much you love these pair of jeans and you go to your Instagram and boom, <laughs> there it is, you know, uh, Levi's, um, yeah, yeah. You know, the, the nasty internet's listening to you. So, you know, the question was, you know, how, have, how has things changed? You know, everything around us is changing and we have to adapt. So what does SIA do? You know, we sold the trade show. Trade show, you know, did not have enough star power, didn't have enough legs to generate an annual income that could help keep us afloat, number one. The game had changed. The timelines, order timelines had changed. People were seeing product in November and December. By the time they got to the trade show in January, they had seen it, tried it, maybe three or four times. Right. Uh, it was redundant. And uh, so we sold the trade show to outdoor retailer. We'll get to outdoor retailer in a little bit, but right. you know, we sold it. Uh, yeah, the question is, you know, what do we do? We focus on areas of activity that are industry 
is either interested in or wants to be interested in. So we've got to be forward looking, like inclusion. You know, before Black Lives Matter, no one in our industry was really looking at inclusion, at least with a serious lens. We are now looking at that and actually training not only our staff, our board, our members on what is it like to live and operate in an inclusive environment. What does that mean? You know, we're only we're only uh, what are we, we're eighteen million dollars, uh, eighteen million skiers and snowboarders right. in this country alone. There's another. There's another. I, I can't recall what the what the population of the U.S. is right now, but there's a huge number right. in front in front. How do we make how do we make people comfortable within our industry, within our sport, within our area of play? How do you get people outside in the snow? And I don't really care if you ski or snowboard. I just want you to go out for a walk. I want you to buy a scarf, a hat, a, a gloves. Um, you know, maybe that might lead to yak tracks or sledding or Nordic, or maybe that might uh, lead you to uphill or backcountry. Um, all roads lead to lead to the outdoors, right? For sure. COVID has really put the spotlight on us as a culture and a society that when we're when the chips are down, you got to stay inside. You want to be outside more more than you want to be inside. I'm gonna yeah. buy, I'm gonna buy the gear. I'm gonna get outside. I'm gonna so we track all of that. So we you know anyone can call us and say how many yak tracks were sold last quarter? How many alpine skis were sold in in the last uh, buy sell cycle? Snowboards, Nordic sleds, socks, base layer. You name the product, we track it. So we also have data points so we can help our retailers understand what products are selling and moving. We can help the manufacturer understand how much of that material is being sold in and then sold to the consumer. And then the last part of that is we do uh, participation and consumer data points as well. So we can tell we can tell anyone who's buying it, when are they buying it, how much are they buying it, what's their frequency, how much money are they spending on an individual charge. So we can help the retailers be smarter about how they reach a consumer. We can help a brand or a supplier be smarter how they, how they speak to a consumer, whether directly or indirectly. So we do that as well. We also, we also advocate for our members so you, you might you might have heard about the tariffs that Donald Trump put in place and a few years ago, everything coming in from China was going to be tariffed at a 25 to 30 to 35% incremental tariff. For a lot of our members, that's their margin. Right. So they're right. That's right. So they're losing money on that deal. So we're advocating with the trade uh, and commerce department. We're advocating with the government on behalf of our members. Uh, we're, we're, you know, as I mentioned, climate before, we're advocating for climate. Without snow, there's no winter. Without winter, there's no business. Snow is our currency. I'm pointing outside because the snow is right there. And, uh, <laughs> it's right outside my window to remind me every day that without that, we don't have a we don't have a, a business. So we have to engage in education, in adoption, and retention on climate as well as advocacy in some of these other areas. You can use the research and data to support those decisions. Um, 
And you can certainly use that research and data to decide if you want to jump in the, the shallow end of the pool or you want to go off the deep dive board. Right. So yeah, there's there's kind of so much to unpack there for what SIA actually does. And, and I think this is probably good because most people haven't heard it laid out, like what, what you guys right. actually do and what you actually aim to achieve, right? You can put it on a masthead or whatever, but it doesn't mean everybody actually reads it, feels it and understands it. I think this That's will right. kind of give people a better sense of that. One of the things that you mentioned was inclusion. And for me, the biggest push has been accessibility to the outdoors. And, and you mentioned just going for a walk and sledding and all this stuff. And that stuff to me is, it, you're right, it is your entry to that point, but there's a big gap to bridge there. And my question to you is, what do you see as some of the hurdles to get over that gap? And what do you see as potential solutions mm -hmm. um, for those hurdles? Well, for, first and foremost, you know, with inclusion being top of mind right now for most of our industry and companies, it made a lot of sense for us to look outside of our normal pool participants and look at new groups first and foremost. And so we did this, we did this study, uh, you know, looking at different groups of people that might not think of winter sports. And one of the findings of that is, you know, nearly one in five of non-participants said they don't even think about winter sports. This isn't even an idea. This is, this is it's crazy talk to them. And so for us, I'm thinking about this, you know, I live in an Alpine environment. We get to ski and ride as much as we want. So, you know, there's a huge opportunity for us to raise the awareness and to continue to push and drive our community into these groups and really become inclusive. And, um, you know, we are primarily a white industry, white male. And, you know, nothing that I'm proud about as a white male. I mean, I am in that demographic, but, you know, I have a bigger, I have a bigger vision and a bigger purview from my, from my seat here. And I get to look at all of this that's, that's happening around us and say, let's do this study. Let's look at these other groups and really understand, you know, where are the access points? So, you know, almost a third of the, of the respondents that we, that we polled were saying that, we're interested in trying snow sports, but you know, it doesn't seem inclusive to me. There aren't people that look like me participating. And um, I hear it's expensive. Maybe I have the money, maybe I don't, but it doesn't look like me. So, you know, there's a barrier of entry there. Um, um, and, and when you break that number down, um, you know, 32% of the respondents, almost a third, said that they would like to try sledding first and then additional 28%, right? It's palatable. And another 28% said, yeah, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do snowboarding. Um, so anyway, you know, that really created some, some dialogue, but also some, some real th thought starting conversation around well, what about alpine skiing? Because we saw 14% drop in the participants saying, yeah, alpine skiing, not interested. Sledding, snowboarding, I'm in. So again, it really starts to create this, this com common uh, conversation around these sports and, and getting people comfortable and really starting to understand where can we meet them halfway? 
where can we engage them um, in, in these sports? And let's start to think about if it's only sledding and snowboarding, great for snowboarding, great for sledding. You know, what do these buying habits look like if you engage these people? And um, so, you know, our report goes in, goes deeper and into those buying habits as well. You know, 51% of the people that we polled um, last bought snow sports uh, equipment or clothing online. That's 51%. So, you know, when you think about where do you meet this, this consumer, 50%, you're going to meet them online. Of that 50%, you know, how many are going to be interested in sledding and snowboarding over skiing and maybe backcountry? So there's some numbers there. And when you start to dig in, you really think about, okay, well, where does mass merchant sit? Or where does the specialty retailer sit? We love the specialty retailer. You know, here in Park City, we got two right around the corner, Coles and Jans. Uh, they're very fortunate to be in their location. As you come into Park City, you have to go by their stores. Right. You know, but does that mean you're going to go in those stores or are you going to drive by and you're going to be on your phone saying, well, I'm going to look on, on the phone first? You know, so, you know, there in itself um, lies a different conversation. Yeah, totally. And I think this is, uh, this, if you haven't had a wake up call yet as a retailer listening to this too, like not to have a website and not to be online, 50% of people's last purchases or out of work purchases being online should say something to you. And that should say it very loudly. Um, and, and it's the thing that at this point is commonplace, right? Everybody has a website except for in the ski and snowboard industry. It seems like right. people are okay with just living without it. And, and to me, that doesn't make any sense, but I want to touch on one of the things that you said. And I think snowboarding saw growth last year over the last year and i think part of the reason that snowboarding is more attractive to somebody that's a first timer is snowboarding does a better job as a industry of identifying with culture way better than skiing and it's not even close to me right like snowboard if you watch somebody snowboarding whether it's a street part or even just what mm-hmm. they wear on the hill it is much more identifiable to somebody than watching Michaela, right? Like, and no offense to anybody that ski races because that stuff is awesome, but it's not the same level. And that's not what's going to get some, it's not what's, what's going to get people into the industry, right? Because it seems so far and away from what they're doing right now. Right. right? You know, I was, I was, I was fortunate to work at Burton snowboards and, um, um, God bless his soul, Jake, Jake Burton Carpenter, you know, I was fortunate enough to work with him as well. And I learned so much while I was at Burton and, you know, it was really about the culture. And, you know, as I said earlier, I worked for two different ski companies leading into Burton. Right. 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 I think I was one of the only guys (laughs) um, um, that worked for a ski company that went to work for Burton right after. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know how that happened, but um, you know, the, the point being is that what I learned about the snowboarding culture you know, the essence of snowboarding, the, you know, uh, just the, uh, man, just how cool it is, is just unbeatable. And the style, the fashion, the product, the statement, the ease, um, you know, Burton was was spending a lot of time and, and, and resources 
on learn to ride programs and learn to ride product and and ways to get people involved into the sport in you know if for the never evers and into the, the the super hardcore and you don't see that i don't you know um i don't see alpine companies building product for never evers or having learned to programs you have to depend on your friday afternoon program if you're fortunate enough to have one with your local school or you know maybe an sos or maybe you know another another program um you know which which, which exists in your in your town but you know it's really indicative of creating a culture um, from the ground up and Burton was really good at that. And they connected the dots so well. And then they, they even went as far as, you know, getting into this omni-channel space before omni-channel, which was, we're going to have Burton.com. We're going to have our retailers. We're going to have our flagship. We're going to have, it's all going to be supported by our team riders, the content, the imagery, the lifestyle, like this is really a lifestyle. And it's a far cry from the, you know, no offense, the Dale Norway sweater and the Drambui leaning over a fireplace. Like that's an activity. That's not a lifestyle. And, uh, you know, and, and um, so, you know, there are differences there. And, you know, you mentioned Michaela, you know, she's done a great job of, you know, bridging the gap for, you know, gender, gender equity and, and, you know, best, best ski racer in the world. Um, same with Lindsey Vaughn and, and down the line, but, um, but, you know, but how do you make that connection to that kid or that family that wants to get in the sport? You know, that's, that's where, where, the, where the conversation starts. That's the challenge for sure. And I, and I guess Michaela is kind of a bad example because I think if there is a relatable ski racer, it's Michaela, right? Like if there is somebody people attach themselves to, it, it's Michaela without a doubt. Um, and I am a full supporter forever for sure i think she does things the right way and all that good stuff and similar to Lindsay too but the it's just ski racing in general is not the thing that is so uh, that's not relatable right throwing two pairs of skis over your back having someone prep your gear for, like that kind of stuff is not I, I don't think people will bridge that gap if that's the first impression they have of uh, of skiing in general right well, uh, it's, like the, it's like the F1 phenomenon, you know. Yeah, maybe. You know, I, I guess you're not going to start getting in an F1 car. You're going to start driving your dad's uh, his old car. You drive fast, yeah. you're going to crash, get hurt. Same with skiing, you know. True. You're going to go out like a Lindsey Vaughn, a Ted Ligeti, a Michaela Schiffer, and you're going to get hurt, you know. But how do you bridge that gap to never ever's and make it uh, accessible and affordable and easy? That you want to come back yeah it's true i uh it's funny i talked to tom wallish a few months ago about this same topic for a second and he was like honestly i think ski should be sold at target i really do he's like i, I don't think everybody needs the best possible gear to get an experience right it's like you just need a way to get out there and sometimes that way is using stuff that is like safe maybe not the best but mm -hmm. it's it's the way to get out there and that's it's I mean, my I opinion but I hear this, I hear this constantly in my, in, in my role, you know, the high cost perception, sure. you know, and that's what everybody talks about. And, and, um, you know, I'm a pretty crummy golfer and, um, and, uh, you know, I grew up on a, on a, a little nine hole course that was behind my parents' house and 
And um, and I used to play I used to play rounds on that golf course in in my youth, you know, every day all summer. And 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 the worst part is I'm still a bad golfer. But anyway, uh, the reality is is like you know, I had a little bag that I think was passed down from another family. We maybe had five or six clubs in that thing, and we used to walk the golf course at night and find golf balls, you know, and uh, in the woods and the trees, and and we would just play, and it was fun. And we made up our own games, you know, how hard can you hit that ball? Can you hit your buddies hundred yards ahead of you? And, you know, that kind of stuff. It was fun. And, uh, you know, and when people tell me all the time, you know, skiing and snowboarding is so expensive, you know, veil this and veil that. I'm like, you got it all wrong, man. I'm like, you know, you don't go to Pebble Beach for your first round ever for golf. Right. You know, you go to the local nine hole course and you pay 18 bucks or 22 bucks, whatever it is. Right. Skiing and snowboarding is the same way. You can go to, you know, you can buy your stuff online through, you know, back porch forum. You can go to play it again, just get the gear and you can go to some of these smaller resorts. Like I'm from new England, you know, Cochran's Cochran's ski area. Is, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. It's tiny, but you can go there. I, I don't know what a season pass is, but I know it's less than a couple hundred bucks. A day sure. ticket there is less than 20. And oh, sure. I, I skied the Brattleboro tow rope a couple weeks ago yeah. and it's five bucks. You know, it's a hundred bucks yeah, for so, a season, pa- season family pass. Right. You know, there are ways to go skiing for cheap, for sure. Right. You know, so I, I go back to this, you know, it's about choices. You know, um, I hear, I hear, um, and I've done it myself. You know, I've taken my kids to Disney, you know, a week at Disney's 10 grand, no matter how you slice or dice it. Trains, planes, and automobiles, tickets and upgrades and meals and Mickey Mouse hats and all that stuff. You know, it's 10 grand. You know, you go to Park City here, uh, you know, or you go to Vail if you want to fight the traffic on I-70 and it's 10 grand. You know, you know, you go to Coachella for Christ's sakes. It's 10 grand. It's dude, it's yeah, yeah. you can get sunburned or you can get your toes frozen. It's your choice. What do you want to do? It's 10 grand. Um, or, you know, you figure it out, you get an icon pass, you get your gear, right. you go to Wachusett's, you go to a smaller resort, Right. It, it can be affordable, you know, if you make it, you know, right. nobody talks about golf being so expensive, like uh, golf is, you know, Pebble Beach, you know, Torrey yeah. Pines. Well, I think the idea is that nobody wants to see skiing be golf, right? Like, and I, I harp on this a lot, because yeah. the comparison gets made often on the show and to me where I'm like, I don't, I don't want these two things to be the same, right? They have a lot of similarities in terms right. of demographic and who they're for. So they get compared to each other a lot of times. Yeah. My question is, and we can kind of go on to some of this data in the participation study. We're talking about all this stuff, but it doesn't seem like people are like, it hasn't changed really. Right. Like, so last year, uh, more participants, who made more than who made at minimum a hundred thousand dollars was it was higher in 2020 to 2021 than the previous that's right um, by a significant margin male participants who have historically made up the majority of participants was even more true in 2020 to 2021 mm-hmm. um and it was more people that are white non-hispanic people mm-hmm. than ever before um so what what do we do to change that? Because if you ask anybody in skiing and in the outdoor industry, business is booming right now, right? Like business is good. Yeah. So how do we change 
business is good to business is great and kind of get more people into the sport and what how like i don't know that's the biggest issue that i think this for this sport is facing aside from climate change right now right yeah. so uh, that's that's i don't know I, it's not even really a question it just i was surprised to see that it it dipped down from the years prior yeah i mean we, we you know there's a few paradigms there and that's that's you know again what we focus on as well and um so you're, you're right you know last year with um you know nsaa our our, our cousin company across uh across the way you know they reported 58 million skier visits you know that's the fifth largest um all time they've only been tracking for about 40 or 50 years uh anyway so yeah. it, it's it's great data um and if you don't have it get your hands on it because it, it is that good um but um you know what that data told us was that we had more core users going skiing more days so if you're used to going five you went seven seven ten ten fifteen whatever and that really created that number and certainly with the phenomenon of multi-mountain passes right you have greater access all good stuff right um unless you're stuck at the these epic lift lines i love that instagram that <laughs> just for one second yes for That's sure just, Super intuitive. I'm so sorry to fail. Uh, just, Shout out to Alex Kaufman. He, uh, who yeah, you are in the spotlight big time, but man, you know, uh, they, what they say, <laughs> no, no, negative press is good press. Um, but man, you know, I, I just gotta say it, it's really shining the light on a real shit, shit end of the, of our industry. And For sure. uh, I'm just going to say it to say it. And, uh, you know, all we're, you know, COVID really put the spotlight on getting outside getting people outdoors. It was a perfect storm for, for icon, for Epic, for indie, you know, awesome. And it's, you know, it's great for business. And that's what we're talking about right now. Right. Right. You know, I hate seeing it ha and having these negative impacts projected. It's like Jerry of the day, kook of the day. Like, right. Hey dude, we have to be more inclusive. We want more people to come out. We don't want them to feel like they're inadequate. They don't meet the, the, the cool line in the sand. Um, same with Epic, you know, Epic is great. That pass is 700 bucks, gets you to where you want to go. You hit it right, you're dialed. I mean, I live in Park City. We're the butt of every joke, right? right. Uh, I'm still getting as much skiing and I'm not waiting as in, in, in as many lift lines as Epic lift lines might suggest. Um, you got to pick and choose. Uh, but the reality is, is like, you know, all of those are negative means and you know, we need to be on the positive side. So if we want to include, you know, people from different, different race, culture, colors, whatever, we have to, we have to project a really cool, fun lifestyle, lifetime sport. And we can't have I-70 traffic or the lift lines or the gondola lines in Breck, which had me laughing over the weekends, really taking away from that experience. We've got to be projecting like it's healthy, it's fun. You're with your friends, you're outside. It's winter you know, you can have fun in snow. Yeah, right. that's that's always my point with that thing is like, if this is somebody's first experience and they're waiting in a line like that or they're waiting yeah. five hours on I-70, why would they ever spend money doing that? Like, yeah, right. I know, I'm fully aware that if on a vacation weekend, I decide that I'm going to spend my weekend at Disney World, yeah. I'm going to have a bad time. So I don't take my vacation weekend to go do something like that's that. Right. Right? It's not what I'm into, whatever, whatever. But mm -hmm. it, 
if you end up wanting to ski and you are one of the people who decided to pick up skiing or snowboarding last year for the first time, and you find yourself on a Jerry of the day in an Epic lift line or in I 70 traffic, like these are things that are terrible. And every time I bring them up, it's like, I get some of the response that I get is why do you want more people involved in the sport? If it's already like this. And my thing is like, first of all, everybody deserves access to the sport. Like no matter who you are, no matter gender, race, creed, color, any, anything, like everybody deserves the opportunity to feel welcomed in the sport. Okay. And I think we both agree on that. That's, that's neither here nor there, I guess. The, the thing is, is we have to have more people around in the industry so that those small mom and pop resorts can still exist. Right. So that everybody can still exist because then it kind of spreads it out. And the only way to go skiing isn't to own an Epic pass. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and again, like, you know, from the East coast, it's, you know, it's an easy, an easy example, you know, right. you can be at Burke, Burke, Vermont, you can be at smugglers notch. You can be at, you know, who knows where uh, hey, magic cannon. I mean, there's like, all there's those resorts. you get a ton in a very small proximity, uh, which is great. And you can go in those directions, you know, same in Colorado, you know, you can go to Monarch, you can go to, um, I can't remember all the resorts West of, uh, West of Vail, but there's a ton along that Western corridor. Anyway, you know, it doesn't have to be at Vail, um, but you know, we have to be more inclusive. We have to look outside of this white male group and really, you know, be welcoming. And uh, certainly this year we're getting hosed with the lack of staff at resort and the, you know, the ability to move around. Um, you know, I also want to bring up the point in general, these resorts are being held held victim to the lack of infrastructure that the cities don't have or the resorts don't have um, to get to and from. All of that's being exposed, but we have to be more inclusive and we need to get more people out on the slopes. Going back to the $58 million, uh, 58 million person number, you know, that's just the core user coming back and forth again and again. Great for business, but there's no growth in participation. It's flat. We need new uh, users to the sport. Naturally, that'll that'll weed out over over time with the baby boomers who are leaving the sport. Um, but the Gen Xs, Gen Gen Zs, you know, we need more of us um, on the front line getting getting involved in the sport. For sure. Um, I want to touch base real quick on this participants by region of residence map. Like this is insane to me. And I'll include a screenshot in this in the show notes for people to look at. But New England, out of 24.6 total participants in snow sports last year, we're talking mountain, which is like your Colorado and Utah and those areas. And, and it's all highlighted and organized um, so that people can understand it a little better. 2.2 million participants. South Atlantic is 4.2 million participants is that like that's seems insane to me does it not to you like that that seems crazy and new england's like what, one uh let me look at it real quick 1.7 in new england so three times as many people in the south atlantic are participating at least once in winter sports. Uh, that was the old sia justification for <laughs> mclean virginia they were in the center of the largest group of winter sport participants it's all based on volume and population that's crazy yeah. uh but within you know a two to three hour drive of central washington dc you know there's 
I can't even remember the number of resorts, but there's you know five there's or quite a few. Resorts. You know, Liberty and um, and I just saw a photo the other day of one of these resorts. You know, uh, Virginia has a ton of resorts. Uh, Snowshoe. You know, I've yeah. been. You know, it's actually a cool place if you've never been. Um, it is. Yeah, the resort starts at the top and you ski into the holler. Uh, but anyway, it's really cool. Um, anyway, you've got just a mass density of, of people that participate. Yeah. And, you know, and if Alpine X does a good job with their indoor facility in Alexandria, they're going to crush it. They're going to kill. Uh, yeah. Which will be interesting. And um, anyway, we'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, there's a ton of people in that area. Can I ask your opinion on things like that, like indoor ski areas going forward? At, like, I think Big Snow is kind of the prime example right now and Ski Dubai, I guess, if you're going worldwide. But uh, Big Snow has done such a good job at placing what they have. Like, it's in the mall. It's easy to access. Like, people can literally just go shopping and then go skiing. And they can rent everything A to Z gear-wise and just go make some runs. And it's booked at, like, two-hour times. Like, I, I couldn't be more impressed at, at how they have changed access to snow sports, right? It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think it's awesome, just to be very clear. Um, I've been to Ski Dubai. I've been to uh, ski domes in, in Asia uh, and China and, um, and certainly in Europe. And um, it, it brings a whole new um, layer uh, into, into our sport. And you nailed it. You know, you can go for two hours at a time, head to toe, just easy, making it very simple. And um, um, and certainly the fact that you can go ski, then you can go shop, then you can go have a, a churro, <laughs> Orange Julius. That's pretty cool, too. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, but that was the model that Ski, ski Dubai originally uh, initiated. You know, they have the mall right there. You know, it's it's hot as balls if you're if you're there in the in the in the in the summer months and spring and spring and fall. Um, and there's no better place to go cool off than go make a few runs um, indoor. And that's the same, same thing with the Meadowlands. And, you know, um, you're right next to New York city and Newark, um, you know, a great place to get out of the heat in those summer months and the humidity and a great place. If you just want to learn to, to ski or ride, great place to start. And uh, you know, going back to the cost is pretty inexpensive. And, uh, you know, it's like going to your roller skating rink in the 70s. You go for a few hours, go, uh, you know, make a bunch of um, laps until you're dizzy and call it a day. But um, it's super cool. And I really see that as a as a great way to get people um, uh, interested in the sport. It's low cost, easy access. Um, and again, like I said, you know, in these areas where it's hot, you can go in and cool off, especially in the summer and have fun in the snow what's there not to like about that for sure yeah and i think it adds kind of to that culture bit that we were talking about before i, I think you're going to see that line get blurred a little more over the next few years where like what people wear day to day versus right. what people wear on the slopes gets thinner and thinner and thinner and i mean for some people and obviously for the core user which is i think a lot of who listens to this show it, it may not change that that much, right? Like people are still going to wear technical outerwear. People are still going to make it complicated and that's fine. Like I like making my shit complicated too sometimes, but we're good uh, at making shit complicated. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. what this industry does. It's like, Oh, we didn't have enough complicated, expensive gear. Let's make more. Right. Um, but I think that's, there's, that's a really good thing in a lot of ways. It's just taking the positives out of that and, and kind of applying it to a way that reaches more people. And I think, 
I think we're on the right track. I, I wish this study had more numbers that supported that we were on the right track, but I think I think changes are starting to be made. People are talking about it. People actually seem to give a shit, right? Like this year in, in 2021, 2022, people really seem to care about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I think next year, I'm hoping those numbers are better. And not just for the numbers sake, just so that people feel more included. You know, I can tell you, it it's it hasn't been the case in the ski industry forever right it's like and and you don't know what you don't know right so for a lot of the people that have been involved your historically white male population to them everything's just fine right yeah. like because there's no there, there's nothing to change nothing's wrong life is good it's fun it's a good time but looking at it from a bigger lens is sometimes it's just it's the way you have to do it and it's where we're at right now and i'm glad we are where we are yeah um, yeah, everything happens for a reason. For sure. Yeah. Um, I want to touch on outdoor retailer real quick here. Um, expectations for you um, on the show. Uh, what do you think of the show? What? It, obviously, you guys are still heavily involved um, with the show. What's? What can people expect this year um, for retailers for for people going to attend the show for people waiting to see stuff at the show um, in 2022? Yeah, I think you're. Um depending on what you're looking for you you know you need to be um um do your homework before you get to get to outdoor retailer so the one thing you will not see at outdoor retailer are the majority of the larger ski and snowboard brands they've opted to do uh the winter sport market which is a buying group show in salt lake uh which kicks off uh today or tomorrow i think and um so they will not be there same with large um um um, outerwear brands, you won't see them there. So, you know, you got to check yourself there, there, you know, there'll be a lot of outdoor brands. There'll be a lot of winter outdoor accessory brands. The show will really, um, if you know, the Denver convention center, top of the escalator, the main hall, that's the primary, that's where the show is, you know, all the venture out and all the stuff in the halls behind that won't exist. It's okay. on the floor. So it's going to be a smaller show. So, you know, Check yourself at the door before you go in, just so you uh, know what you're getting yourself into. Certainly, with COVID and um, uh, Omicron and you know the variants, um, you, you may see fewer people. Um, not many people are willing to travel or don't want to travel, and um, and everyone's going to be masked up, so it might be harder to find your buddies in the in the aisles. And yeah. uh, and, uh, and certainly, drinking beers uh, is probably going to be limited in the aisles. So it's going to be a different show. You know, we're working with Outdoor Retailer to figure out what the next uh, iteration of Outdoor Retailer is and certainly where that show is going to exist. Um, I'm just reading an op-ed in the Salt Lake Tribune from Mike Kaplan of Aspen talking about how great Colorado is and how they look after their public lands and, um, you know, and how they're so climate, climate first. And um, there's still that, that riff around Utah and, um, you know, who's better Utah, Colorado. And, mm. you know, I, I just got to say, you know, to, just to call the elephant out in the room, all the Alpine guys, snowboard guys, apparel guys, they're in Salt Lake right now. Yeah. They're doing it right there. They're doing it. And guess what? They're skiing in snow basin today. They're skiing in Brighton tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. And there's no traffic. And so, you oh. know, all due respect for the, Colorado versus Utah versus public lands versus 
maybe Aspen should figure out where their private jet parking, their footprint on that. I hear, you know, I see planes parked in Rifle and Grand Junction. Um, it seems ridiculous. Hey, I, you know, I'm not a private jet owner. I never will be. But uh, you get picked up and dropped off and your jet has to pick you up and drop you off and fly around empty. Like, that doesn't seem like you're doing your state of service. But nevertheless, the uh, the luxury you get when you're at, when you're speaking to the 0.005% uh, of, of the group. But hey, you know, let's get back to the deal. You know, it's it's um, it's about the business. And um, I got a bone to pick with some of these brands that want to rub their nose in the politics. You know, um, you're still doing business in the state. You still have flagship stores on Main Street down in Salt Lake. Mm. You know, if you really got an issue, leave. Yeah. Uh, you know, good point. It's a pot calling the kettle black. We want your money. We want to be where the business is, but we're going to shit all over your state. Every state has their dirty laundry, California, Vermont, New Hampshire. I get it. And I'm not saying either or. I'm just saying like the winter outdoor business is in Salt Lake right now doing business. Right. And, you know, we talked about how good the business is right now. Right. How do we get it greater? We need to come together as a community and we need to decide, you know, the world changes, our, our commerce changes, the business changes, you know, unfortunately you Denver price themselves out of business, hotels, um, transportation. You can't get to the mountains anymore. Um, it's a shit show, man. Like, yeah, I mean, again, I'm not shitting on Denver. I'm just saying like, the business has changed and we have to make adjustments to the business. For sure. You can still ski in the morning and do a demo and then go to the show in the afternoon and do your business. You right. can't do that in Colorado. You know, that's that's a nice thing that we have that. That may change in the future, right. but we can do it today. You know, so the point is, you know, the point is, is that, you know, we need to come together as a community. We need to come together uh, where, where we can do the business together. I'm all for state parks. I'm all for open lands, you know, but you know, what about the medium to small end uh, company that depends on a trade show to do their business? They don't have the, a voice. They don't have the money to invest. They can't say, Hey, winter sport market or outdoor retailer. I'm not coming to your show because of what's happening with the, with the public lands. Those small and medium brands are saying, I need this show to get access to the retailer so I can put food on my plate. I can feed my family. Like, let's think about those guys. And um, and then we can think about public lands. Then we can think about climate. And uh, so I think there's a conversation that needs to ha happen uh, within our industry. You know, one needs to be happening around the business. And we can't have two or three brands dictating their their views on the entire industry um we can't have a trade show dictate their views on what this industry should be that's the job of the associations that's what we do we represent the large the medium the small um i'm really excited to see uh what's happening down in salt lake this week with winter sport market i'm really excited to go to denver next week and engage in some really good conversation around what's best for our business um 
And I'm, t- uh, I'm going to be a little lonely. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll hang out with you. I know we, we can hang out, but you know, <laughs> I like to be surrounded by my Alpine and snowboard and apparel peeps, you know, that really make the industry come. Yeah. Together. And um, I think it's going to be uh, a little bit of a change, but you know, change is good. And um, yeah. you know, we can't just rely on one city to uh, try to figure out what's best for this industry. We have to adjust and adapt. We learned that the last two years with COVID. Um, and maybe, just maybe, trade show isn't what our industry needs anymore. Maybe we need a community gathering in Park City um, based around education, uh, fun, skiing, snowboarding, riding, um, party, uh, entertainment, music. You know, maybe that's what we need. Um, and so- can I just say, too, like that is almost, if not as valuable as what SIA and OR have done in the past, like having that kind of thing and a brand being associated with that kind of thing, yeah. it's got to be as valuable, if not more valuable in 2022, because totally think there's so. so much going on. People want to feel like they're in with their brands. Right. And I think that's what, that's what you guys kind of have the opportunity to do. The business is extremely important, but it's also really important to just do what we were just talking about. Right. Where it's like, you have media there. You have brands that people really care about in a place that's easy to access from the mountains. I mean, it's a 30 minute drive and then it's a 15 minute drive to the airport. That's right. You know, it's like it's as it's super accessible. And I don't I feel like I'm giving Salt Lake too much credit here because it, it is a great location. But realistically, people are past deadlines a lot of times at these right. shows. Right. So it's not like I can go to OR and write the order. The reason I'm going to OR is because I can go and I can see my friends I can hang out with people that I don't get to hang out with all the time. I can get a break from being in my shop. I can go skiing and test gear. Like these are the kinds of things that are really important to retailers and that are really important to people that are in the industry as a whole, I feel like. Because I don't remember the last time I was, and I've gone to OR since I was, since it was in Vegas, you know, or since it was SI in Vegas. And I don't remember a time when somebody sat down with me and we wrote our order there. Right. right. And and we're a, and my shop is a medium sized retail, medium plus sized retailer, we'll call us. Mm-hmm. I don't think it, it's just not what people do. You can do this stuff virtually in so many different ways. But what you can't do is you can't build that connection with people just by doing it through a screen. And you certainly can't do it if nobody's there. That's right. And that, you know, that, that's a key point. You, you just hit it on the head, the connection. You right. Know? We need, we're human. We want that connection. This industry is very passionate. Um, You know, probably one of the most passionate industries I could find. I agree. Yeah. And, uh, and we're better together than we are apart. And um, so, you know, again, I'm not advocating for Utah or Denver. No, wherever we can do the business, wherever we can get the community together, wherever we can get those connection points, that's what we're here for. And that's how SIA makes the industry thrive. For sure. And I think that's uh, that that's true for SA. It's true for OR. Everybody can benefit if this is the kind of model we have going forward. And from what I've heard, it sounds like uh, there's some good things happening in the future. So I'm very excited about that. We're working on it. <laughs> um, the last thing I want to talk to you about, and then I'll let you get out of here, is uh, Snowbound. And what's first of all, what is Snowbound? Yeah. Tell me about it. And then we can talk a little bit about the Fuel TV deal as well. Um, so kind of give people the rundown. Yeah, so Snowbound is a consumer-centric platform. That means, you know, this is this is the first point where a consumer can experience the winter lifestyle 
not at a resort, not at a not at a uh, uh, a convention center that's close to consumers, but you know, a, a true first experience where consumers can go in and they can see, you know, van life, ice climbing, ski, snowboard, Nordic sledding, apparel, and they can buy it there, or they can they can go online and buy it, or they can go to the retailer and buy it. And this really is the kickoff of winter. So there, we uh, we own these two shows. Uh, they'll be in November of 22, uh, one in Boston, one in Denver. And it's a way that we can create an inclusive environment and having consumers experience uh, winter in an urban environment and on their own terms. It, I'm, uh, it's I'm supported sorry. by entertainment, by fashion, by, um, by experience. Um, there'll be retailers there. There'll be resorts there. There'll be manufacturers there. And again, it's not just skiing and snowboarding, it's all winter outdoor outdoor product. You know, knowing that it's only uh, two shows a year, both in November, there are three day shows a piece, you know, that leaves another 11 months, what are we doing? So we've partnered with Fuel TV and we've partnered with all of our members who have, you know, decades of content. And we're curating that content, pulling it in. So. A snowbound series launched last week on Friday. And so it's an 11 uh, show series, uh, 11 30 minute shows. And you can get it if you have a Samsung TV, it's uh, go to the apps and you'll see fuel. It's free. Um, and it's a way that we can we can reach. Um, so I just got the stats 700 million Samsung products globally in 20 uh, I'm sorry, 70 different countries, 20 that focus on winter outdoor sports, um, and that has a weekly viewership of a million eyeballs apiece. So I don't think we're hitting those numbers here in Denver. <laughs> I don't think we're hitting those numbers. Uh, but, you know, the idea is, you know, hit, provide the content free of charge in the comfort of your home. You know, on demand, whenever you want to see it, you can go back, watch it over and over again. Um, you can share it with your friends. So um, we wanted to find a way where we could reach a new audience. We could send a new message about how cool winter outdoor sports are. Wanted to send a message. It's about, you know, not just the hardcore uh, powder porn shots. It's, you know, experiential. What is it like to live in a, uh, in a winter environment? What is it like to you know, uh, share the sport with the next generation. Um, so it's very cool. It's very fun. And uh, it's a way that we can reach new audience. Um, we're, we're trying it out this year for size just to see what the numbers are. The numbers so far are good. And uh, um, next year, maybe we'll, we'll go from 11 to 20 or, or even to 30. There's no shortage of content. We've got tons of content that we're, we're curating from our members um, to build this thing out. Um, but we're also looking for new ways that Snowbound can, can lend itself to education, whether it be industry B2B, whether it be consumer, whether it be, you know, um, a way that Snowbound could sponsor, say, the X Games or could sponsor another um, winter event that just brings this element of experiential fun. It's something that you see on def different mediums and touch points. Yeah. I am. Uh, I'm extremely excited about this. This is a thing that I think is uh, that people will connect with and it will be very near and dear to their hearts, I think, especially because of the areas that you guys have picked. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Boston, I think traditionally the Boston Ski Show has been phenomenal for so many people. I think Snowbound will kind of take that same idea, but the, it's way bigger than just that ski show, right? right. Like that ski show kind of felt like the back of a tent sale sometimes. That's like right. where you're just like, all right, here's some shit to go out the front door, yeah, take the away with a discounted, discounted product and historical product. Right. You know, this is all new product, new product drops, new stories. You know, you get to see your favorite brands. Um, you get to see them curated by your favorite companies. And you get to talk to the people that design the product and um, and see it the way that the brand wants you to see it, which is cool. Um, and then so, you know, out of that is that we are going to be collecting data uh, consumer data from these these uh, these people that attend, and we'll be boiling it down to really introduce consumers back to the manufacturer, the supplier, the retailer, so they can get to know their consumer better. Yeah, so yeah, it's a I, approach for sure. I, I think that 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 information is super important, and honestly, I don't think enough retailers take advantage of what you guys at SIA offer too. Like, I mean, just this inclusion study or this participation study in itself has so much to offer somebody if you're looking at your business and how you can improve and where you can improve there's a lot of really good touch points for people to actually be able to grasp and understand like okay this is why my business is growing this is why it's shrinking this is what i need to do better this is an area of growth and i think something like snowbound will actually expand not only the way that retailers look at product but the way that consumers are able to interact with the brands that they really give a shit about that's right and that changes everything i think if it's presented in a clean concise way and everybody in the industry decides to get behind this kind of thing there's no shortage of the type of access that you could create um, with a show like this and that's the point that's the point you For know sure. and, and um like i like we were talking earlier you know you can the internet is not going away. You know, everything starts and stops here. Um, you can buy a car on the internet. You can buy your house on the internet. Like we, we have to, you know, uh, educate these consumers, you know, um, on the product, where to go, where to get a service, who are the, who are the specialists uh, to help you along your journey. Like all this exists. We're not here to put specialty in retail. Uh, we're here to help in- enhance their retail experience. Um, and same goes for the supplier. Yeah. For sure. Um, well, I'm psyched. Um, Nick, thank you for spending the time. Uh, this has been great. Um, where can people find more information um, on SIA? Where can people, I don't know, where can people find you? Where can you can go to snowsports, snowsports.org. Um, you can find me there. Um, I have an email link there. Uh, you can find everything we just talked about right there. Uh, you can go to snowboundfest.com and learn more about Snowbound. And uh, it's all there. And um and certainly, you know, if you see me at a trade show or you see me around, come over. I love meeting everyone and I love saying hi and and um, and I love drinking coffee and drinking beer. So let's, uh, you know, let's let's get it on. It's super fun. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah, my pleasure. This episode of the Out of Bounds podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis. Fisher Skis makes my favorite ski that is out there right now. And it is the all new 2022 Ranger 102. Um, they have merged the Ranger and the Ranger FR into one ski. Now it is fun. It is lively. It's energetic and it's a ski can take anywhere in any condition. Um, no more pink ski gang. We are on teal ski gang now. And this is, uh, this is where things are going forward. Um, they make it in everything from a 90 all the way up to a 116. Um, and the ski's a blast. I can't wait for you guys to get on it. It's, uh, it's the most fun ski that I've skied this year. Michelle, uh, first of all, Thank you for doing this. And uh, why don't you tell people who you are and uh, we'll go from there. 
Right on. My name is Michelle Parker, and I grew up born and raised here in Lake Tahoe, grew up skiing at uh, the mountain that's now known as Palisades. And yeah, I grew up racing and then kind of at the age of 15, moved into park skiing and competed in, you know, park skiing, X Games and slopes down, half pipe and that kind of stuff. And then uh, one thing led to another. And growing up here in Olympic Valley, I just like, I don't know, following the likes of Shane McConkie, Ingrid Backstrom, Scott Gaffney. Um, yeah, a lot of legends came from here. So I kind of always wanted to film and I knew that. And yeah, I started to film at a pretty young age, must have been around when I was 20, 21 years old. And yeah, my career has kind of constantly developed a little bit here and there. And um, I've managed to keep it interesting for myself. And the love for skiing is still alive and well. And and yeah, still going. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah. And I think you've also managed to keep it interesting for everybody that watches you and follows you. Like for, for however long your career has been at this point, like everybody is still super interested in what you're doing. And I think that's that's a credit to you and how you've kind of portrayed the types of things that you do. Mm, I appreciate it. I think, you know, one of my earlier influences, one of my best friends for a long time and uh, yeah, it was JP Eau Claire. And he kind of went from like mogul skiing to, you know, park skiing to big mountain skiing to more ski mountaineering ascents in Chamonix and all over the world. And, and his vision of skiing and like wanting to constantly learn kind of was something that he instilled in me, I think. And like, I always wanted to learn more about the mountains, more about rope work, more about um, how to access terrain, more about planning expeditions. And that just kind of constantly made me develop more as an athlete, I think. And like kept skiing really interesting to myself, which probably was portrayed because of that, I think. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. Um, how, is that how you've managed to keep it interesting to yourself, but like to you for this long? Like, because it's, uh, I don't know. It, does it get boring? Does like you seem psyched all the time on skiing. And that's something that like I struggle with all the time is like some days I'm just not into it. And some days I'm just, I don't know, I don't want to do it. And I get it like cameras are on, you put on a happy face and you just kind of go for it. But it seems like you're genuinely excited to be there all the time. Yeah, uh, fair enough. I, you know, we laugh about it. I was just out hiking in Tahoe. We have like a really strong community. And mo the way that I interact mostly with that community is through time in the mountains. And the people that I get to hike with are multi-generational. Like we have, um, I don't know, Glenn Polson, whose father was one of the founders of Olympic Valley. And then uh, Jim Zellers, he was a legendary snowboarder at the time of Tom Burt. He was kind of Tom Burt's partner. His wife, Bonnie Zellers, also an amazing snowboarding pioneer. Then there's Jeremy Jones. Then there's like myself and Nick Russell. And there's just like, you know, Jim Morrison, these like incredible people that we get to learn from and soak it all up. But um, these people, we were we were always laughing because we're like, yep, some things never, never change. We're still having a beer at the trailhead with the same people we've been skiing with for the last 20 years. And it's still equally as fun. Like the stoke is still alive. And I'm like so surrounded by that, being in this group of friends that access the mountains together. And it's really inspirational to me to have these, you know, older friends who I get to learn from and follow and I don't know. It's just so inspiring to see them le leading these really healthy, active, like lifestyles that have, I don't know, stood the test of time. There's longevity there. And that's kind of like, I guess that's a goal of mine in skiing is to have longevity and maintain the stoke and be doing this when I'm 60, 70 years old. 
Yeah, so you've no no interest in like an actual retirement from professional skiing, or is that like is that is that true? Like, or is that something you've kind of thought about at all? I guess the only reason I ask is because Angel retired recently. Uh, you don't usually see pro skiers do like a full on hi, I'm leaving skiing. I'm you know the way that she did. So yeah. I guess it kind of prompts the question for people that are kind of in that same category, if you will. Um, like, have you thought about like what a pro skiing retirement would even look like? No, I mean, for me, I don't really have that desire. I think um, for Angel, it probably was the right move for her and what her desires are. And I think that for myself, I don't really see wanting ever to retire necessarily. Um, I love it so much. And I, and I think that there's like in one way, shape or form, I'm going to be heavily involved in the ski industry for many years to come. Like, I just love it so much. Um, and, and I have so much appreciation for it. Um, and yeah, so <laughs> I haven't really thought, I mean, I've thought about it and I've been like, yeah, I'm not going to screw that. I'm not going to do that. This is the most <laughs> fun thing ever. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's just a uh, burnout's a big topic lately. Right. So I, I feel, I feel like that's in a lot of ways, that's one of the things that gets talked about next is because people are just like, they get burnt out and then they're like, I'm done with it. I don't want to do it. Fair. Yeah, totally. And like, that's, you know, not to say that like, I haven't experienced burnout in my career, like right. to keep it super real, like for sure I felt that, but I think that that's a result of maybe me not having um, established boundaries for myself and having an understanding of how much work I can personally take on. Like, that's what that means to me. Mm. I think after having dealt with it for a few years, I feel like, I really came to this conclusion, like, I need to change this. Like, that's in my control to establish those boundaries, to recognize how much work I can take on and to, like, yeah, be firm with that so I don't get burnt out. Because I think it's really, it's not, like, a good sign when you talk to someone and they're like, I'm so sorry, I'm just so busy. I'm like, whoa, that means you got to build some boundaries, <laughs> friend. Yeah. Like, that's, like, such a sign. And and totally that this is, like, a new me talking when I'm, like, saying, <laughs> like, I've struggled with this, too, for sure. But I think it's a really important thing. And, and I think that burnout being a topic of conversation that we're, uh, you know, inviting to the conversation table right now in society is, like, so important. Like, we shouldn't be tapped out. We shouldn't be burning ourselves out there's so much more to life than getting burnt out on work or whatever it is right especially in this industry right like this is an industry that's supposed to be based on fun and like being in the outdoors and and kind of having a good time if you're burnt out doing this imagine doing other things yeah so that was like that was a good self-check for me i was like oh okay i need to change some stuff because this has been something i've been so passionate about and love it so much and it should be fun skiing to me needs to always remain fun that's why i do it what what are boundaries and what does setting boundaries look like for you? For me, it means really figuring out what my truth is, like what I really want to do with my time, with my energy, how I want to spend that, and then aligning with that. I think in my younger years, I definitely said yes a lot more and would just be like, yeah, totally. That sounds awesome. But then I didn't have the foresight to be like, oh, if I do X, Y, and Z in the next month, I'm going to be burnt out. You know, like I didn't have that foresight. So now I'm trying to just like have a lot more consciousness to every decision that I make and figure if it aligns with like my truth and what I want to do. And then if it does, then it's 
I don't know, I'm, I'm probably not going to get burnt out. Like it's going to fuel me. Um, and there's some things that you have to do, right? You have to bend and you have to like sacrifice and we all like work is work. You have to do some things sometimes that you don't want to do, but um, just kind of, yeah, I think it was bringing a lot more awareness to my decision-making and when I to my yeses. Yeah. I, I guess I think everybody's fear on that side is always like, if I don't say yes to this thing, I'm not going to get the next opportunity. Right especially right. in this industry and especially with athletes, it's like your time is somewhat limited in terms of what you can do. So, or at least it's perceived to be limited early on in your career. You're like, okay, like my time is now, if I don't make it now, I'm not going to make it. You hear that kind of thrown around a lot. And I guess I, it's nice to hear that that's a thing that you've kind of learned over time, but I just, I wonder what that means for somebody like, I don't know, that's just starting their path. Right. Yeah, totally. And there's a lot to unpack there too. Like, I don't know, especially being female, to be honest, like I've felt like I have to prove myself. Like, yeah, I have to say yes. I have to commit. I have to show up. I have to like take these opportunities. And I think that's like, to credit a lot of my success, I did say yes. And I like showed up and I did the best of my ability, you know, like yes was a powerful thing for me, but there comes a time when like too many yeses is like, yeah, it's not going to help you out. So, um, yeah, being more wise with that. It's tricky. It's something I'm working on for sure. But I think I've come to a place where I'm a lot more aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like, yeah, if you're comfortable saying like, I'm comfortable with my decision making and I'm not burnt, I feel like you're probably at that place, especially when you know, you're working with major brands like Red Bull and Arterix and some of the brands that you're working with, right? Like, because those are, I think people don't realize that those sometimes can be big asks too, right? You're working with a brand. There's certain expectations that you have to work, that you have to kind of work through. And yeah. uh, I think people think once you get signed, it's like, that's it. The work's done. You're, you're here. Yeah, totally. There's so much that goes into being an athlete beyond just skiing. That's for sure. I mean, back in the day, it was a lot more just skiing. Really? <laughs> Before with social media. Yeah, for sure. I'm so thankful that I got to taste that era of professional <laughs> skiing. Like you didn't have to post anything. You were just skiing and you were like awarded based on your ski ability. And that was that. It was awesome. It was a lot more simple times. Do you, do you like the social aspect of it? Like, do you like the social media aspect of it? And do you like that it's part of your job? Yes and no, to be honest. Um, I love taking photos and I love sharing photos. I love seeing other people's photos and getting inspired by what other people do. Um, but at the same time, I think that the negative side of it really does outweigh the positive side of it for me. Um, I, you know, I did come from that era where sponsors approached you and supported you because of because of you as an athlete and who you were and what you did. And that's on and off the ski hill. You know, there's like being an athlete, I think is all encompassing. I think you have to be a pillar of your community too. And like give back to your sport. I think that like is, is the, you know, this wholesome athlete when you think about it. Um, but yeah, where was I going with this? I, um, <laughs> a little lost with that. Anyways, uh, yeah, you know, companies supported you because of that. And now you're getting reached out to by these companies that are like, like I've had companies be like, oh, can you make a post? And then based on how good your post does, we'll decide if we want to work with you. And I'm like, well, that doesn't feel genuine. Like I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I, uh, I, I don't use the word influencer to describe what I do. Like I really do think of myself as an athlete. I think that there's people who have influence, but I think that word has been contrived some 
in some ways like it doesn't always have this positive uh, reaction that I get from hearing it you know or yeah some of the descriptions of it but um, yeah, I, I'm like, whoa, I want people to stand behind me because of what I do and believe in me because of that, that feels genuine. That feels authentic. That feels like when I'm representing a brand, I'm actually selling the brand because I believe in the brand too. Like I, I'm the big fan of authenticity. I have a hard time doing the like, yeah, social media stuff that, that our jobs have become like the advertising on there, the tagging of the sponsors, whatever it may be, or the one-off posts. And I, I have respect for it. People are making a living doing it, but I don't know. It's not super. Yeah, one-offs to me are like not a shouldn't be. A, a, and I don't know. It's hard for me to say. And I never want to like, I don't know, pick on the way that anybody makes their living. Right? It's always a fine line between picking on what someone else does. But like for me, a single post or a single sponsorship or a one-time deal doesn't seem to be. That's not support. You know, that's not a partnership between you and a brand. That's like they're just trying to see what they can get for the money that they feel like is worth throwing at you, you know? Yeah. Right. So I've done one, one off actually. And I was so down with it and I like still love it. I've used the recipe every time, but it was for Rainier gin. Like, Rainier really? gin. Yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> and they're like, can you come up with like a cocktail recipe? And I was like, hell yeah. And I did um, a gin fizz, like a Ramus gin fizz. It's like a pretty fancy cocktail. If I was a bartender and someone ordered it, I'd probably be pretty bummed, but I love the drink. Um, but yeah, that was my one time that I did it. And yeah, I have respect for the way that everyone does it. Just for myself personally, it doesn't feel, I don't know. I really love the brands that I work with and I am like embedded in those brands and I work really closely with them and those relationships are super important to me. And, and I like really do believe in the product that I use. That yeah. feels good to me. Yeah. And I think you work with some of the best brands when it comes to that stuff too. Like you work with brands that have been known to stand behind people and are known to like, I don't know, kind of not just give back to the athletes that they work with and support the athletes that they work with, but also give back to the community and be like part of what's around them. So, yeah. and especially like we have a mutual sponsor in darn tough. That's kind of how we got linked up. And it's totally. like, they're kind of the perfect example of that. Like they're based in Vermont it's yeah. a great company to work with. And I, I don't know, they make socks. Like everybody needs socks, right? Yeah, but that's a really good example. Like, I don't know, they're local to the US. They, I mean, I've been there and I've like interacted with so many of the workers and it's like, it's a good place to be. And it's the the quality and the genuine care that goes into making those socks. Like, I always laugh because I'm like, how did I become such a sock fan? But I really, <laughs> I truly am. And people are like, darn toughs last forever oh people freak out about it like it's uh it's a very when we <laughs> announced that we were working with them like i got a bunch of messages that were just like oh my god these are the best socks it's like darn tough or die and i'm just like okay cool like yeah, yeah. I, I agree i definitely agree now but i agree and i think i agreed before but it's uh i don't know it's i've been really psyched to work with them but um i kind of want to shift gears a little bit from the sponsor topic thing and kind of go back to something that you said being like making it in the industry as a female i like i just told you before i just had nick Sargent, who's the president of sia snow sports industry of america on the show um about an hour ago and we kind of talked about this participation study that they put out and it talks about the growth of or like just the different categories that sia has kind of put different people in and kind of the i don't know they put everybody into segments and they have it separated by demographic and one of the things that I was most surprised with is 
female participation is down in 2020, 2021, as opposed to years prior. And I kind of felt like it was a better year than ever for female participation. Like it's more people are talking about it more online. Right. So I, now I'm just like, I don't know. But it totally makes sense to me, Adam, because like females were far more affected by that pandemic than males were right with childcare and and everything like in the workforce, like women lost their jobs. Like that makes sense to me. So like women aren't going to be recreating and like participating in extracurricular activities as much too. So that makes sense. That goes with all the data that I've looked at from the pandemic. That makes a ton of sense. And I didn't Which even is think so about sad. It. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And he didn't really have a great answer either. And I guess this is why, like, I don't know, we just didn't think about it. It's not our, it's not from our yeah. perspective. I mean, I think like as far as like women in the workforce, we took a significant step backwards throughout the pandemic with like the steps that we have taken forwards. We lost lost some uh, headwind for sure, which is so unfortunate. Yeah. And I don't really know how to I mean, yeah, that's a big one. But how I hate these kind of questions, but I'm going to ask anyway, like because I feel like it makes you speak for every woman. And that's a stupid thing to me. But how how do you make it in the ski industry as a woman? Like what kind of boundaries do you set for yourself? How have you been able to be as successful as you are? And obviously like part of it's talent and hard work and the work that you put in and, and nobody will ever discount that. But what, cause this is actually one of the guests, the listener questions that I had was like, how, what is your advice to somebody that's up and coming as a female in the industry? Yeah, totally. Wow. It's a great question. And I'm sure that, I mean, things have changed over the time from when I started. When I started back in the day, I I got my start because I was noticed. I was skiing in the park. I had my long braid that I still run. And Jay Leventhal, who uh, owned Line Skis at the time, approached me and handed me his business card. And like that was my start. He got me into competing everything, and I just kind of went with it. So I feel really lucky about that. But how have I maintained it and everything like that? Like, I mean, yeah, there's been times where I've dealt with like, really difficult situations being a female, but for the most part, like things have been getting better. Things have been on the right track to like expand. There's more women now involved than I think there's ever been, especially in the last few years. Like there's more females behind, uh, you know, the camera directing, producing, guiding, like I'm seeing that growth happen. Obviously I, I am like, it can't happen fast enough, but, um, I think, I think what that's a, yeah, it's a deep one. There's like so many answers to this. Like, and it's very general and I know this and that's kind of why I dislike the question personally, because I, I, I don't know, it's not very targeted, right? Uh, it's just kind of yeah. like general. Can you give me an answer to help me figure this out? And I, I just, I always wonder because right now seems like the time when people really give a shit about social issues. So yeah, it's, it's a time that it's really important for us all to talk about it, right? Totally. I think, well, there's a few things. I think um, taking opportunities and showing up and doing your best and like, yeah, all that regular stuff that we heard, like showing up, um, you know, working hard, whatever, like all of that totally. Right. You also have to be a good person. You have to be fun to be around. Like the ski industry, the outdoor industry is um, a place for fun. And I think that yeah, like that's when you travel, when you do all these jobs and everything, like that's at the root of it. We already spoke about this. Like we got to have fun, continue that. The best year on the mountain is the one having the most fun. But right. I think to like, yeah, take it a little bit deeper. Like as a female, I started to realize that like we weren't necessarily taking initiative. Like 
if you talk to brands and you ask them, how many proposals did you get from men last year versus women? Like men are like, I don't know, like 50 and women, like I literally had a brand say I got one proposal compared to like the 50 I got from my guy, from the men. Um, and so, yeah, that to me, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Also, we're less inclined to take initiative and to ask and to, um, yeah, just raise our hand and, and make our presence known in the room. So to me, I am starting to tell more women, like take initiative, like ask for yeah. what you deserve, own your space, know that you are worth it and like speak up. Like I had in my upbringing, there was multiple times where like a cinematographer would be like, Michelle, your shots out here are equally as important to us as Mark Abma's shots. Like speak up if you see something. And I had, I had someone like someone telling me that was why I believed in myself mm. at that time. You know, at the, in the moment I was like really passive. I was like, Oh, I'll like ski a line, you know, maybe, you know, after they're done. And, and like, and totally that's where my, I was like super polite. Right. And I was in my head, I was 17. And I was like, I'm, I don't know. I'm a girl. Like I'm new here. Like I'm the rookie. I'm not going to speak up. And it took people telling me to do that. So I think, yeah, I would say that's my number one piece of advice. Maybe like take initiative and, and speak up. Yeah, I think, and I think that's huge. That's it's huge for anybody. For some reason, it, it it does feel like guys will take that initiative a little more often for whatever reason, and almost to a fault where they they feel like they deserve it. Oh, totally! This all the time. Like I get like I don't know. It, it's yeah. I, it it does feel that way. I mean, yeah, right. Like if you take uh, you know, men or women men are far more likely to apply for a job that they don't feel qualified for than a right. female, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's it not about faking it till you make it, but like raise your hand and like assert yourself and, and like but ask. it is to a point, right? Like that is actually really important sometimes. Like obviously you have to do the work, but faking it till you make it, like believing in yourself is probably the most important, as corny as it may sound. Like that, that is really one of the biggest parts, I think, for anybody to do anything that they want to do. It's so true. I mean, to be totally honest, like the last four years, basically, I've been working on Originate with Red Bull. Yeah. And when that series came to life, I kind of dreamt it up with this um, camera team called Real Water based in Squamish. And I had worked with them previously on, on a Red Bull project. And we dreamt it up. And, and I asked at this time where I knew I was like, well, there's not enough like content from women out there like we just need to yeah. like make more female driven content like created by women coming from the athletes perspective and we pitched it to red bull they like were totally on board but the first year i was like oh shit like now i'm in control and like i'm like working with a ton of guys and i am intimidated i'm stressed out because i don't know how to be a leader like it was a lot to put on Maybe my recently. plate um that was like four years ago yeah yeah. Yeah. But like recently in my career, totally. I was like, oh, I'm taking on like so much more um, than I ever have before. I've, I've been the athlete that like you can show up and you get your job done and you ski really well and then you go home and it's simple. When you take on your own project, let alone one that's producing six to seven uh, short episodes every year, like there's so much more work that goes behind that. Right. So yeah. the first year was like, whoa, this is a lot. And then I went back the second year and did it. And I was like, I don't know. It was so empowering. Like, having done that and had that experience made me up level. And I just felt like that helped me in business and life in my career, like tenfold. And it was really like me taking the initiative to ask. And then, yeah, maybe I was like in over my head and I faked it till I made it, but I like figured it out along the way. Right. I learned it was such a, this beautiful process. And now I have this incredible experience that 
I wouldn't have had had I not spoken up and raised my hand and asked for something. Yeah. And if people haven't seen originate, like it's in the whole series, it's, uh, it's really, really well done. Like it's well edited. It's well put together. It's like, uh, the last episode that I just watched before we got on this had like almost a million views. Like it's, it's really, really well done. I don't know. It's, I'm kind of just giving you props. There's no question here. I I really enjoyed it. I appreciate it so much. I feel so lucky. I got to kind of build a team with these two main cinematographers that I've worked with over the years that like, I don't know. They're so dialed. We're dialed. We worked really well together. It was a really good uh, overall experience, which I think like, I don't know, in this industry and filming, like sometimes you don't work three years in a row together or four years in a row together because like, you know, shit hits a fan or whatever. People don't get along. But we just had like such rad times. And it was like, I don't know, we grew together. We learned together. That crew is amazing. So yeah. And Red Bull too, like everyone there. It was really fun to take more ownership over something. Yeah, and it it does seem like people are really enjoying that like series style content lately. Like especially, I mean, Cody's obviously the easiest example because totally. got a bajillion of them out right now. But it's yeah. it, it seems like you kind of hit a nerve there with that with that originate series. Yeah, yeah, we have um, our third season's actually coming out this February, kind of different timing. But um, yeah, four more episodes will drop. And I, it was fun to do it that way. It was a different take on it. I think it's interesting, though, like it puts you into position when you're in the mountains, like you might go on a trip and it's like you've got a month to make one episode, whereas like typically you have a year to make a movie or maybe two years to make one movie, you know? Yeah. Can I can I ask you your opinion on the whole movie scene at this point? Like movie releases, movie premieres, is that still relevant to this day? Like it, is that still something that excites you personally and do you think that it's I don't know, I, obviously it's a very valid form of media. It's it, some would say it's the most valid form of media, but it's not like everything's available on YouTube, right? And half the movies this year because of COVID premier, like premiered on YouTube it feels like. So Right. Is the traditional model done with, do you think, or is there still value in it? I don't know. I mean, after COVID, I am craving the in-person events as much as I, like, I mean, right now we're dealing with this variant and like a lot of the events that I've, uh, you know, was going to do with sponsors have been canceled. Um, But yeah, like I love that in-person connection. I think that that will never go away. I hope it won't. Gosh, because then we'll all be robots. I like really <laughs> enjoy connecting with people and seeing them face to face. And I think that, yeah, movie premieres, to me, there could be some like different, like, I mean, there could be like a photography display at the movie premiere. There could be more elements to it, like a slideshow and then the movie or live music or whatever, like people right. can get creative with it. But um I do think that there's value there. I think that like, yeah, cause stuff changes all the time. I agree. There's so much content online too. Now. Like, wow, it's hard to keep up. And I'm like addicted to it. I love seeing <laughs> all the projects and everything. And I don't even think that I can see them all. So I think quality over quantity is key still. Um, and anything that you can do to differentiate yourself from the standard, like, I don't know, movie that's been going on for forever, I think is is good. Stuff that makes it stand out. Because I know when I'll watch stuff, if it doesn't grab me right away, I'm like, okay, on to the next one. Like there's like so yeah. many projects out. Yeah. Is there is there something that you've watched, you know, that's come out in the last six months or so that you're really attached to that you really enjoyed? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, gosh, there's been a lot. 
I'm thinking like, uh, well, I really loved and appreciated Precious Leader Woman. Have you seen that movie? No. So that's Spencer O'Brien's movie. She's a Canadian yeah. snowboarder. Um, yeah, she's been a longtime friend of mine. Maybe that's part of why I love it so much. But she, I used to, I like grew up competing with her and traveling and getting rental houses and training in the park back when that's we did snowball. Yeah, um, and that movie's kind of about her reconnecting with her indigenous culture and like her whole process there and sharing that story and it's just beautiful and I definitely have a personal connection to it, but I think it's it's one of my favorites. Um, along those same lines, uh, yeah, Connor Ryan's movie. Yeah, that was uh, really good. Spirit of the Peaks. Spirit of the Peaks, totally. I watched that one yesterday. I was really psyched on that. Six. I thought that was beautiful. I love these new... Like, I don't know, I love like a story behind, uh, you know, a project and, and if the athlete, like, I mean, both of those athletes, but Spencer came out in her movie and was shredding in the backcountry and she just moved from park to like filming kind of and watching right. it come out with such a strong like riding segment too. I was like, dang, that was really awesome. But yeah, those two stand out to me off the top of my head. Uh, Jess Kamara's movie, yes. Learning to Down. Yeah. Yes. <sighs> That one was really, really moving. Heavy. Yeah, blown away by that. Um, Marcus Eder, as far as just straight ski porn, <laughs> that <laughs> that one got me for sure. Holy shit! And then Tatum Minode, her movie last yeah. year was really impressive. And that one too, like I have such personal ties to watching Tatum go through a really big injury and then recover and then come back out on top and ski the way she did. That like takes a lot. And yeah, I was really proud of her for that movie. Yeah, I did. I actually like the more I think about it, the more I realized how stacked this Arteryx team is. Like, oh, this is yeah. kind of crazy. Like, you guys have a lot of awesome people on this roster. Oh my gosh. Specifically, like on the women's side, I just got to yeah. say, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's so insane. And then you got the other side of it where, or I don't know, I feel like it's all sides of it. Katie Burrell involved with it, the Nicole McLaughlin of the world. Like, there's like so oh. much Arteryx is doing that's outside of the box right now. So I feel like I have to, uh, I have to give him some credit there for sure. Cole and Sam Cooch, they're like amazing on their skis. Yeah, for sure. Listen, my personal hero and legend of the ski industry. Yeah, <laughs> they've got they've got a really amazing team. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, I have a guest question here from uh, Mike Rogie. Uh, wants to know what your experience uh, working with Sam Cohen on Finding Fury was like. Yes, awesome question. Yeah, I um met kind of well i've known sam for a little while but i'd never really skied with him until i went to alaska last year to the torjillos with matchstick and on that trip um we got along you know fair, fine enough and he was like obsessing over this mountain called mount fury he's like i've been looking at it for six years and he like kept continuously any chance he got he's like michelle come look at these photos just like and they like wouldn't tell me where it was though you know like i knew it was in the pacific northwest but he was like pretty protective until i committed um, and then we like sat on the plane together coming back to the States after, you know, leaving Alaska and he just kept like putting in my ear. And finally I was like, what do I got to lose? Like, this sounds like a totally awesome time. And I would say, honestly, like from first impression, I don't know if I would like put myself as like, yeah, Sam was going to be my partner in the mountains. Like, right. but we got along super well and, um, we worked really well in the mountains together and I always just appreciate it. Like one of the most important things to me when I have a partner is that they treat me like they're equal and Samo definitely does that. And um, when I have that respect from my male partners or like even, yeah, obviously like any 
gender, it doesn't even matter. But like that, that means a lot to me. And uh, yeah, so it was really fun to work with him and to get up there. And um, he has a lot of energy. He's really excited. And he's like, definitely a go getter. And I think that I've maybe like tone him down a little bit and like with me in the middle there and he gets me super fired up but it's probably this like leveling game um yeah that was a special trip though holy moly yeah um i also want to ask you about like so there's still and forever there has been these different ski scenes especially like you talk about the tahoe area and the kind of crew that you guys kind of have over there utah colorado is there obviously tahoe is near and dear to your heart but where i don't know what area makes the best skiers what area do the best skier skiers come out of because i feel like this has been a debate for a long time and i'd like uh, i'd like your opinion on it <laughs> yeah totally great question and i'm totally biased but i think <laughs> yeah i mean look at tahoe it's pretty stacked tahoe for sure. is That's what <laughs> historically very very stacked and um you know places like Jackson Hole, there's a big ski culture there from like the back in the day with the Jackson Hole Air Force. Um, yeah, you've seen definitely good athletes coming out of Jackson Hole, but then there's the whole Canadian side of things too. And like yeah. Whistler and Pemberton and the whole Sea to Sky. And then you got Revy and like, I mean, there's just like an incredible set of mountains there. And the people that I know that like are Canadians that make it, like they don't really need to leave home. Like mm. they can work from home and just like crush it, which you know, and what it has its up and downs. So you're not like a global athlete if you're staying home all the time. But if you can stay home all the time and do your job, that's also like really awesome. Um, gosh, yeah. I don't know. I would be curious to stack Whistler's roster next to uh, Tahoe's roster. I, yeah, I would too. And I, I feel like somebody should have done this and maybe, I don't know, fuck it. Maybe we will put together. Yeah. Maybe we'll just put it together. We'll put together a list of all the athletes in all the areas, but then somebody's going to get mad at me. Like, Oh, we forgot this. Or we left this part out. I don't know. I'm always like, you have to be diligent. We'd have to go to the Godfather. Mike Douglas would have to make the list and we're going skiers and snowboarders like all across the board. You have to go across the board. Yes, for sure. Do you get bonus points for like a Sean Pettit who skis and snowboards? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Does Sean Pettit even count? I haven't heard anything from Sean Pettit in a while, I feel like. Yes, he counts. He's a legend. He counts. I mean, he's the best. Like, he's yeah. the best example of doing both ever, I think. Like, but yeah. he's, uh, I only say, does he count? Because I don't know what he's even been up to or if he's skiing, snowboarding, anything. I don't know. I've reached out to him a bunch and I just, I never hear back. And I feel like he's just like, I'm good. He's kind of taking the Seth Morrison approach where he's just like, I don't know. I'm all right. Like, I'm fine. Yeah, he's chilling. He's having fun with it, which he deserves it. I I spent 100%. a decent yeah I spent a decent amount of time with him. It must have been before COVID, so it was like three years ago. Probably I stayed at his house for a while one summer. Yeah, he seems was, like a seems like an interesting guy. He's such a gym. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with him. I'd love to have a conversation with Seth Morrison as well. He's been the one. Seth has been the one I've been like campaigning for for a long time. I think, and, and he's finally answered me, and he's just like, I have no interest. I'm like, I've washed my hands. Of he's the just skin. not. Yeah. He's like, I'm done. He straight up was like, there's no point in doing a podcast. I hope you have fun skiing. Like, I don't want to talk about anything. I'm just straight up like, I'm done with the ski industry as a whole. And I was like, I actually appreciate that you gave me an answer. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, which is awesome. Fair. Um, but yeah. man, that makes you want to get that interview. It wants me to, yeah, I want the interview so much more because I just want to talk to him because growing up, it's like, that's, that's your hero. It's like Seth Morrison was like the guy kind of. Totally. Uh, and uh, it's, I'd love to hear what goes on 
in that head especially when somebody has like the wherewithal to just be like i am i'm good nobody like my contract's done i'm i'm all yeah, set i'm good yeah i don't need this at all i saw him in sham a few years ago did you didn't get to hang with him much which i was like i was kind of sad i like i definitely grew up obviously <laughs> loving him and then like traveled with him a little bit with k2 and i was like what's right. up Seth? how's it going Good yeah, I thought I uh, I thought Mike Powell was gonna get the interview, but Powell said he's like he's completely ignored him, hasn't answered anything he's done. Oh. So like, all right, I got the win. I, like <laughs> I, I'll take an answer as the win for sure. That's funny. He's like, yeah, I know Powell too well. I'm just not gonna reply. Yeah, um, speaking of Powell, he wanted me to ask you a question about this uh, thing that he apparently sent you as well. Um, it says online that you uh, are a you are. I don't know you have a hundred million dollars in net worth or something like that on this random yeah. website that seems like pretty high like you're doing something really well for yourself as yeah a... it's true everything is true <laughs> um <laughs> he sent me that too and i laughed so hard yeah but i do make a ton of money so it's uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding um yeah that that's a little stretched <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's I saw it and I was like, anything with a picture that's that grainy can't be like the reality of the situation. Yeah. yeah. It's good for business though. We keep it up there, right? My net worth is like a hundred million. I think it was a hundred million. <laughs> yeah, it's a light, it's a casual hundred million dollars. Um <laughs> that would put you in a category of your own for sure. Um can I can I ask though, like how how do you continue to be successful at making money enough for for this to be your full-time job because that's one of the things that i feel like is so hard for people to figure out is like at the highest level there are people who have not figured out the business side of skiing and snowboarding right yeah man i don't know that's another great question and, and really like yeah i guess i started i would consider my first year being a professional skier when i was like 15 or 16 and i'm 34 now so it's been a run right i've learned a lot i've worked with agents over the years now i don't work with an agent um but i've i think i've learned the business pretty well and i understand it and i think for me like yeah, you've got to engage with the community. You've got to give back to your sport. When I talked earlier about like, what is an athlete nowadays? And even back in the day, it's more than just your skiing ability, right? You are a brand, you're representing yourself. And, and at the end of the day, like, yeah, I don't know, doing things like safe as like hosting events, like that's super important. Um, producing my own content and, and well, going back to this whole burnout thing too, like I think I'm just going to be really candid over the last few years. I think I've probably overproduced. Like yes. if you look at athletes, like I think I've put out a lot of content um, and it's been amazing. It's been such a fun ride, but that's not sustainable. So like for me to get psyched again, like I need to take some time to get creative and feel that energy. But yeah, staying engaged is really important and building off of, what you've made in the past. I, I, I feel like it's a privilege to be in my situation, but I've also like, it is a full-time job. I don't take a lot of time off. I, to be frank, I don't really go on vacation. Like I do think that there's to some extent I can say my life's a vacation, like skiing so fun, but like it's work and, and I work really hard at it. And I think that, you know, right. The new me is trying to work less hard at it, to be honest. Like I'm trying to like be a little bit more okay with not overproducing and be, be like slow it down a little bit and and like yeah going back to everything just figure out exactly what i want to do and think about longevity and um 
yeah, but did that answer your question? I'm sure. really Yeah, I don't know. No, it's <laughs> not at all. I, you, look, not at all. There's uh, people have gone on 10, 15 minute long rants. Do not, yeah, do not worry about that. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I just wonder how like people don't know the roadmap so do you think it's valuable like now that you have the experience right you can say i don't need an agent i i kind of understand the business but do you think it's valuable for people to have an agent early on does it depend on the person is it it depends on the person it depends yeah. on if you want to take the initiative and like step up and be like yeah i'm going to represent myself and i'm going to manage myself and i have good organizational skills good people skills i feel good about like negotiating um, right. and maintaining that friendship and not letting it tarnish like your relationship. Like there's a lot that goes with that. Right. And I always said that I didn't go to like school after high school, which I have taken some college courses, but I like really went to the school of life and it might sound cliche, but I learned a lot about being a brand running your own business. Um, yeah, I don't know, like figuring it out. And so, yeah, I think a lot I learned from having an agent and like watching how they did stuff and yeah then also figuring out my worth through what mm. they were getting and then growing from that. But I take that back to some extent because all of my best contracts I've negotiated myself. Um, yeah. I've like, yeah, I've figured that out on my own and it's not easy, but yeah, it, it like takes experience. It takes asking people too. Like that's a huge yeah. thing. Like, to be fair, like I'm an open book and a lot of, a lot of women have re reached out to me and she's like, Hey, can we just like call and talk about this for a minute? I'm like, yeah, let's chat about it. Like no one else is going to tell you yeah. this stuff. Like there isn't a perfect roadmap. Every athlete has a different roadmap. So that's why it's, it is hard to even pin that down. We've all like Alex Honnold made it to success in a totally different way than Tanner Hall, than like whoever, you know, like there's just different, different maps to go, I guess. Um, but yeah, I think asking and being a learner and not a knower is probably a pretty key to sum it up, to make it real succinct, be a learner, not a knower. Yeah. <laughs> I, ask yeah, right. yeah, ask and talk about it. I think, I think talking about the money, th that's one of the things that's starting to happen a little more. And I feel like it, that's super important. Like people need to know that like, oh, you're making money and this company's only sending me product, right? Like that's one of the things that I think this industry's done for a long time that doesn't sit that well with me that often, especially with the younger athletes. It's like mm -hmm. if you can't just take advantage of somebody because they're good and they're young and just send them a bunch of product, right? And mm -hmm. it's also like negotiating is really fucking hard. Like I have a hard time with it too. It's like when I go and I try to get a new contract for the show, I'm like, Am I asking for too much? Am I asking for too little? Am I, am I like shooting myself on the yeah. foot down the road? Like, I don't know what anything's worth. Like I have no, and on the other side of it, it's like the brand knows what everybody's worth, right? They know what they're, they're paying every single person. Right. So they've got that. Totally. So, I don't know. On one hand, you're like an agent kind of gives you some validation for what you can get. Like, yeah. Oh, my agent could get that. So I can get that. But totally. at the same time, I think you're probably able to get that for yourself if you just believe that you're worth that, right? Yeah, and like, I don't know, if you're a friendly person, you make friends with other people that work at different brands and you have conversations and you're open about it and like, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> it, yeah, you're, you're, you're just asking those questions and you're learning a ton and you can, you can take that information and run with it. Is that, is there somebody that you look to for advice in this category right like where you're like okay i know this person's super business savvy like and i know they're really good with contracts like do i do you run this stuff by people anymore or are you like sound with what you do 
Yeah, totally. My um, most recent and amazing agent, uh, his name was Ryan, is Ryan Runke, and I worked with him for a number of years. And then I just kind of was like, hey, man, I think I can like manage this on my own now. I don't feel as overwhelmed and like I feel like I've got this. But right. he's just like such a close friend that like, yeah, if I have a question, I totally am like, hey, what about this? What do I do here? Like, yeah. And he's just yeah, I can call him any, any second of the day. And so, yeah, I've got friends around me and, and my um, partner, Aaron Blatt, my boyfriend is amazing and also has been in the industry for a super long time. And it's fun to spitball and talk business and about yeah. this industry that like, it is rare that people like have that knowledge and information, but um, yeah, it's pretty interesting. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird thing. And I think people just don't even know on the outside looking in everybody's like oh every pro skier is rich right like so i think to people that would like read an article that says michelle parker's net worth is a hundred million dollars they would actually maybe believe that kind of thing right like where they're yeah. like yeah well it's true i'm just kidding i keep joking about it <laughs> maybe you're gonna speak it into existence i mean who really knows yeah i hope you do totally right um yeah that's not how much i make not even it's, close we i mean really the reality of it is like i don't think any pro skiers are in it to get rich no, but like no, sure. but it is interesting you look at action sports and it's like like anything else there's like a small percentage of people that i think are making like relatively decent living right and it, i think it probably drops off like from there yeah yeah, but, I, I just I don't know how we change that kind of thing because there is money in the industry, right? Like there is money. Right, out right. There. It's just people don't necessarily know how to go go get it, right? And I think that takes a good sports marketing person at the brand too to look at an athlete yeah. and be like, how can I cultivate this athlete from the ground up and give them the best opportunity to succeed? Because I think back in the day, like sponsors, like when I. I had an injury at one point and I got dropped from basically all my sponsors right. and I'm like, well that, and then look, my career has gone on for like 15 years past that. Like what the heck, why did I get dropped back then by everyone? Like they didn't cultivate an athlete in me. And then Red Bull comes along and they're like, Oh, if you have an injury, we're going to like, like help you like pay for your rehab. We're going to like give you physical therapists to work with. Like if you even want to use our surgeon that we work with, you can, you can yeah, use right. that person. Like they are looking at investing in that athlete and it takes a smart and forward thinking sports athlete, like uh, I don't know, sports marketing person at the brand to spend their money wisely too. Yeah. Like, I don't know. For example, you can incentivize someone. You can be like, okay, we're not going to give you money. We're going to give you skis and you're going to go to these competitions and we're going to incentivize you. We're going to give you money if you get on the podium, right? Like first, second, or third. That's basically as far as incentives go. Or you could take this super young athlete that's like super impressionable and be like, hey, we're actually going to invest in you up front. We're going to help pay for your travel budget so that you can get to these places. You can gain this experience. We might not like I mean, we're not betting on you. Like maybe we do throw an incentive on top of that, but like supporting right. them. So they're not like freaking 18 traveling the world frazzled, like not having money. Like, yeah. I don't know. There's a different way. There's a different way of thinking about it and approaching it too. I think from those positions at the brands that are really helpful that are like cultivating that. And there's certain individuals in our industry that have done that. Like I've had that helping hand towards me and I'm so thankful for that. Those are the legends in the industry that are like yeah. still around too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a really difficult thing to kind of figure out and, and navigate. And I guess it, now more than ever, first of all, I think everybody that dropped you at that time has, has fully regretted it. And I know like even like 
how like K2 at the time was like, that was the biggest mistake I ever made was letting Michelle go. like, and he said it on air on this podcast. He was like, that was the biggest mistake I ever made. So and I, that kind of stuff is really, I don't know. You look back on it and hindsight's 2020, but a good marketing person at a brand makes all the difference. And they actually realize that, okay, your athlete is not just an athlete, right? It's not just the podiums that they get. It's not just the results that they get or the movie part that comes out. It's like you're investing in the person and the person is who the people connect with. Yeah. And that's like, it's as simple as it gets, right? It's like, I think Kyle Smain and I were talking about it and it was like, okay, this is, we are marketers. Like we are ski marketers is really what we are as athletes. Absolutely. Right? And we definitely not referring to myself. We referring to Kyle said this, not me. But yeah, it's it's definitely like that's it's just part of it. And I think that's uh, you're starting to see more and more brand heads realize that it is a it's an extremely viable way to promote a brand or a product. Totally, it has. I mean, it's been the age old way of doing it, right? right? Thanks to Scott Schmidt, I think he might be the first action sport athlete in the world to get paid. Um, yep. Yeah. Well, I hope it, uh, I hope the paychecks only get bigger and bigger and I hope things, uh, yeah, I hope, I, I hope you get to that hundred million. If that's what you want, maybe, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I don't really don't care. Yeah, more money, don't more care, problems. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I agree. I'm, I, I want to be life rich and power rich. That, uh, <laughs> that seems like a very good call. Yeah. Um, Michelle, thank you for the time. Uh, Wait, where... are we done? If, if you want to be, I mean, it's we're just getting in. started. I'm just kidding. It's 50 minutes in. <laughs> <laughs> I um, love it. Where where can people find you on social media that you don't like? And where can people find you on the internet overall? Wait, actually, okay. I think it was Goldie Hahn or Pamela Anderson. I don't know. It was like one of these celebrities. <laughs> and you guys should look at her Instagram. Her last post is like, nature is way better than this shit. I'm out. I think it's Pamela Anderson. Go look at it. Yeah. Anyways. One, right <laughs> she bailed on Instagram. I've always thought about doing it. Just like, see you later. I'm done. Wipe your hands clean. I'm surprised that fucking Seth hasn't done this, by the way, and is like still answering people like mine DMs. <laughs> yeah, um, right. um, it's going to disappear from the industry and spray paint. Pamela Anderson, you said? I think it is her. Yeah, just check it out. But I'm not going to bail on Instagram. Um, my Instagram is Michelle Parker, M-Y-S-H-E. Oh, she did. Isn't that sick? That's yeah, I've never been interested in social media. And now that I'm settled into life, uh, I'm genuinely inspired by reading and being in nature. I am free. Thanks for the love. Blessings to all. Yeah. Jesus. Good for you, Pamela Anderson. Right. Be like Pamela Anderson. Just walk away. Oh. All right, sorry. So, but if you must follow me on social media, it's Michelle Parker, M Y S H E L L Parker, and Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, <laughs> otherwise, check out Originate. It comes out in February. Do we have a date? Do we have an official date yet? No, I don't even know it yet. Oh God. Okay. All right. Sounds good. We'll put it out when, uh, whenever that comes out. We'll, uh, we'll post it. We'll share it everywhere. Hey, um, it's been so fun. I wish it was longer. I'm like. Right, is, it, is this the final year? Um, originate? Yeah. I don't know. You know, it could always come back up, but it felt like when we filmed the last episode, it felt like there was some closure. Like, whoa, we've done a lot. That's like, what, three or four seasons? And yeah, I don't know. We'll see. This last one, this last like year, what we focused on was um, not as much skiing, more storytelling, more other avenues of life that I'm interested in, which was really fun.
I feel like that stuff is more okay. Well, now that we're rolling on this again for a second, we're gonna just keep. I got a, I got a couple of questions real quick. Um, I, yeah, I feel like that's the kind of shit that people enjoy though, right now, right? Is like the what you enjoy in video format. It's almost it's like I don't know. I hate the vlog style stuff. Right. It's almost like it's more insight into you as a person. Yeah, totally. It felt that way. And it's been something that's captivated me for sure. I just like storytelling and my team of cinematographers, Brian and Cam are just really good storytellers. So I had just like the people in place like that. You don't come by that often in the ski industry is people who can like make a ski movie, but also tell a good story. And um, so, yeah, we actually we dove into mountain biking, um, had a really good time with that. I'm obsessed with mountain biking. And then we also went up to Ferry Creek on Vancouver Island and um, stood up for old growth, which was an amazing experience. That was really cool. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And there's a couple more in there, but it's fun to dive into other avenues. Right. And like, yeah. Is yeah. mountain biking a new thing for you or is that like, has that always been a thing? Um, it's been a thing for a while, for sure. In my twenties, I got into it, but, uh, in the last like little while, like I really got really into it. (laughs) The last three years, I think I, my interest levels peaked and I went and entered my first mountain bike race this summer, the trans Cascadia, Washington. Yeah. Which was really fun. It was an enduro, an enduro race. Um, so you're timed on the way down, but not on the way up. And that was like totally kicked my butt. It was such a really amazing experience. I love like throwing myself into these activities that you're just the new one. And you're like, whoa, I am the rookie and I'm super vulnerable. And I find that it's like when I have the most personal growth at times, or I like push myself past these perceived limits that we put on ourselves. And yeah, I like being the new one. Yeah. And I guess like a good example of that is that, 50 project series of episodes that you did with Cody was like that exact thing where you guys are like pushing yourselves to the absolute limit, getting to the top. And like, you're kind of watching you guys at, I don't know, maybe at peak burnout or who knows, maybe it's not peak burnout. Who really knows anymore? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's rad. Um, Throwing yourself right. into the unknown. It's good. We should all do that more too. I, I, yeah, I agree. I agree for sure. Um, all right, Michelle, uh, what's your Instagram one more time? Because we haven't actually gotten out of you. I don't think where, where can people follow you? Uh, and where can people find you? Uh, where can people find originate? Originate is on Red Bull TV or YouTube and Instagram. My shell Parker, M Y S H E L L Parker. Awesome. Michelle was taken. I don't know. So spelled it. My shell, <laughs> my shell. All right. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks, my shell. <laughs>